Visit Arcade Club, Europe's largest classic arcade, with over 200 video and pinball machines. There's classic consoles and computers. There is also PS4s, Xbox Ones, Wii U, PC, and Oculus Rift, and regular tournaments and competitions. All machines are set to free play. Open Fridays, Saturdays, and Sundays. Check out arcadeclub.co.uk for more details. Tenpence Arcade are proud members of the Throwback Network and the Retro Junkies Network. Hello listeners, we're on episode number 66 of the Tenpence Arcade Podcast. So when we get to 666 in 600 episodes time, I'll actually sacrifice Mr. Holly, my co-host, on a pushed over 1942 machine. No, you won't do that, will you? How long do I have left then, Vic? Uh, I think 600 episodes ends up at 23 years, so make sure you enjoy them. Oh, that's, that's, that's long enough. It's long enough. My name is Victor Marland. I am Sean in your face. Holly, how are you doing? And not bad, thank you. And welcome to everyone to the podcast, Tenpence Arcade Podcast, where mm. this is the podcast we like to do broadcast ourselves talking about arcade games of yesteryear and sometimes the future. Wow. Dun, dun, dun. As we usually start off, things we've been doing. Ooh. I'll let you go first, because I've got a few things, and I was just doing things about ten minutes before I got in, so we'll talk about that as well. Doing things? I've, I've been doing things. I've been to Arcade Club, of course. Of course, and how I'm, was it? Uh, it's a- absolutely excellent. I'm still enjoying the Monroe Stick version of Gyrus that they have. I seem, I'm playing that a lot. I love it. And you play and it better with the Monroe Stick. Definitely. It, feel, it feels better, and the cab is really good as well. The, the screen is the perfect angle. So that is a good reason, a good excuse enough to go to Arcade Club and play the real deal. Yes. Also, they've got a few new games, but the one that caught my eye. Cool. One that caught my eye was Armed, the wonderfully named Armed Police Batrider. Have you ever played that? It's a, I think it's an eighting and rising game. Armed Police Batrider. I love that. Oh, I got the ending wrong. I thought it was oh. Batrider. Yeah. Um. <laughs> uh, I have played it, yeah. Uh, it's just a shooter, isn't it? A good shooter. Yeah, it's in it's in one of their new Astro Cities, so it's massive screen. Oh, that's great. exactly what you want. It's Excellent. lovely. It's lovely. Cool. Guess what else I did? Well, kind of what I did. What did you do? Uh, you know that King of Air shoot 'em up board I've got. King of Air. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's shooters, not not trumps. I put it I put it in my LCD, switched it on. You know, my little LCD bar. Yes. Nothing happened, because you've got to change the wiring, of course. Really? What for? But, well, the, it was wired up to use a 60 and one so the power went... You know them little connectors and PC connectors? Oh, it from, used that, did it, rather than the jammer power? Yeah, from the power supply, that, that went into the 60 and one and the game elf board. Okay. So, so Mark Singy, God bless, his, God bless him, he... God bless his lovely little soul. Yeah, he, he wired it up for me, so that works. And he put... A, and he wired one of the spare buttons to make a credit button, which I've never needed before, but you need on this board. So that's, of course, that's yeah. So that I can play my shooters in that little mini bar top. Nice one. Mm. That's a good little thing to do on, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I presume you could put a normal PCB in there, but you'd have to have a, a CGA to VGA converter to convert the 15 kilohertz single of a proper PCB into one that your little screen can take. Mm. Or you could just lick it. Yeah, lick it to do it. Bit mm. of spittle on the end of it. <laughs> nice. 
Oh, that's good. Excellent. Mm. Good you got little two little cabs to be playing with. Excellent. Yeah. You might be getting a new one soon. Hint, hint. Oh, I, nudge, I nudge. So. Wink, wink. I hope so. So, stuff I've been doing. Last week, we had to pod. We had to postpone the. It was two weeks ago, so we had to postpone the podcast because, or postpone the editing editing of the podcast because Phil Golubish from Griffin Aerotech, the Skycoaster guys, was in London with his lovely wife Anna. Mm. And they were visiting various European countries, and I got a hold of him and said, "Yeah, let's go for dinner. Let's meet up." Blah blah blah. So we met up with him, which mm, is nice. nice. It's good to yeah. meet him again. It was really good. We had a good laugh. In he went to Richmond for dinner and stuff, and he had never had. Listen to mm. this. Yeah. Never had a savoury pie before. Really. So I recommended he got the pie and mash, and he loved it. Mm. Mm, pie and what mash. sort of pie? Uh, it was chicken and bacon. Bacon? <laughs> yes, bacon. Bacon. Chicane and bacon. Very nice. Do you know what I'm into at the minute? I had one at a meal out the other night. Steak and kidney suet pudding. Oh, sir. Oh, chips, oh. And gra- chips, mushy peas and gravy. Oh, nice. That, that <laughs> really? sounds a perfect northern meal to me. It was excellent. Ooh, next time I'm up north, I'm going to have that. Yeah. Brilliant. One other thing I've got on our notes here. It's mm. not quite yet, but there's something coming up we will be reporting on. Mm. Listen in, kids. A few weeks' time, I reckon. I'm, yep. I can't wait to tell people about this. Mm. Also, talking to John Studley last Saturday, actually got in contact with him because we were going to talk to John a little while ago, but I was on holiday for a bit, then he went on holiday and he couldn't make it and he had some work bits and bobs. But we finally ra- nailed him down, nailed me down. We had a really mm. good chat about one of his new favourite games, Track and Field. One of his new old favourite games, Track and Field, which he's rather good at. I know, yes. I'm going to put the audio of this at the end of the show. It's a quite a long chat, but it is super interesting, talking about track mm. and field. Because it was a game I played as a kid in the, the youth club at lunchtimes at school. Mm-hmm. It was like a bun- bundle of us used to crowd around a machine. One guy used to do the running, another guy used to do the you know, the, the jumping and stuff. And it was a right, a right laugh. And John's really good at it. And he, I think he's going for the world record. So we had a, quite an interesting talk about all the different events. We'll put it yeah. right at the end. So listen out for that, people. It's really good. Mm, I haven't heard that yet, so I'm looking forward to that. Right, do you want to know what I was doing up until about a few minutes ago when I got in? Because I was a bit late tonight for recording. Well, listeners, I know. He but... knows, but I will I will go on and do a bit more on it. Yeah. Well, basically, our mate Ben, Vip, who you met at Nerg recently, I've known him for a little yes. while now, I've met him before, he's come down and stuff. He's He was getting, he was buying... A Naomi Universal cabinet from a guy on the UK VAC called the VLM, a guy called Simon, nice bloke. And Vip was a bit concerned because he'd hired a van ready and he, he phoned the guy or he messaged the guy and said, Look, I'm ready to pick it up. Have you, have you disassembled it? Because he'd already asked him to disassemble it. And he said, Oh, no, I'm not going to disassemble it unless I really have to. And Ben was like, Oh, God, you, yeah, you do. I won't get it through the door. And um, the guy said, oh, we'll, we'll do it. And I, got, I think I've got some tools here. And he was like, oh, no, you know, he was really concerned. He was getting a bit worried about it. Because if he'd gone up there without the, the tools and they couldn't disassemble it, he wouldn't have been able to get it away in the van. It would have been impossible. Because yeah. you can't lay one of those down. It's a full-size Naomi Universal, which is quite tall, six foot tall or, or bigger. And you can't lay it on its side, really, because it's got heavy monitoring. And the way it sits, you can't really lay it on its side. It would be very, very difficult to lay it down. And it might damage the monitor and stuff. So... He sent me a message, and I phoned him and said, well, what's the deal? And he told me. I said, right, I'm coming up. What? I said, road trip. He's like, what? And this is like 8 o'clock at night. And he's like two, two and three-quarter hours away from me in Newark. And I'm in London, obviously. So 
I said, right, I'll get back to you in a minute. So I went and woke wife up because she was having a snooze. I said, <laughs> you all right? Yeah. I said, do you fancy going on a road trip? She was where? I went, Newark. She was when? I said, now. <laughs> she was like, huh? What? Bless her lovely heart and soul. She said, yeah, all right. And I sort of phoned Vic back and he said, I said, oh, have you got somewhere we can sleep tonight? Otherwise I'll come down early in the morning. And he said, oh, we haven't really because he's got a, quite a small flat and there's only the two of them there and they haven't got a spare room. Yeah. So he said, oh, I can go and get a double, a double blow-up mattress from Asda. So off he went to get a blow-up mattress from Asda. <laughs> we got up there like two and three quarters, three hours later. Had some tea and stuff, had a bit of a chat and went to sleep. Next day, we're up early in the morning, quick shower, drove up there, up to Middlesbrough, even mm-hmm. further up New North. Got up there, no problems at all. Got there, the guy was lovely. Had a good chat to him. He was selling some of the machines as well. He was really sad to let his machines go, but needs must. Picked the machine up. I took it all apart inside about half an hour. Or I sort of remembered where all the bolts were and pulled all the bits and the wires off. And Ben was just sort of standing there flabbergasted like, how do you know this? I was like, because I've done about five of them before. And it's <laughs> yeah. the kind of thing I do. I mean, inside, when you actually look at them, they're quite daunting for the for the a layman or someone who's never done it before. When mm. you get into it, all the wires, you can't... I don't think you can actually put a wire in wrong because they're all sort of... They're the same size, and not another wire is the same as the other one. So it's quite impossible to get them in wrong, I think. I think it'd be very hard push to do it wrong. So I put it all apart, and it was all sort of coded anyway. Got all the bits off, got it in the van, nipped off, no problem at all. Got it back, and I thought, right, and his flat's quite small. I thought, if you leave all these bits everywhere, they're going to get stood on, and people are going to trip over and hurt themselves. So I thought, right, I'll quickly put it together. So I quickly nipped it together while the wife was going, no, I'm hungry, I'm hungry. I was like, all right, so let me do this. Mm. Got it all together sort of roughly together, and I said, right, next week, after Revival, which we're both going to next weekend, Yay. ding, 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 for Revival, mm. on the Sunday morning, I'll get up and sort of have breakfast with you guys, and I'm going to drive up to Newark again with a computer, with all Mayman, I've already sorted out for him. Sarge is kindly selling him a iPad, so we can interface the controls to the keyboard, to the computer, and I'm going to set up his main for him, and he'll be off and running. He's going to follow us then, and he's promised... To play all the games with us and, and submit some scores. Mm, oh, that's cool. Yeah. Another sort of a little friend to do that. So that's what I've been doing. So I've only got back about 10 minutes. Because horrendous traffic on the way back. But yeah. up there and up to Middlesbrough, not a problem. Mm. Whizzed up there. It was a good laugh, actually. I think it's quite nice doing a road trip now and again. What else was I going to mm. do on a Sunday? <laughs> drive, drive 400 miles. <laughs> yeah, why that? not? Yeah. So that's what I've been doing. Quite fun. It was too. Very good. Mm-hmm. Oh, and they brought us dinner. Guess what I had? Steak and kidney suet pudding. No, unfortunately not. No. But I had the next best thing: triple sausage and mash. Oh, I like Ooh, sausage. Three different mash. types of sausages. Ooh, Ooh sausage soup. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> and on that sausage note, let's do yes. some arcade news, shall we? Arcade news. Got a couple of links for you, kids. The first one is the world's largest Pac-Man game that we have talked about. It's an overview of it. And Namco Bandai have actually done like a proper advert for it, like oh, a proper cool. trailer. I, I don't think there's many of these around, but we've got two here. So the, this is the world's largest Pac-Man. And, and as we mentioned last time, there is a thing on it where you can put your own advertisements on. Is there one in the UK yet? I don't know. I want to play it. It looks awesome. It, there was one at that show in January that Alpha One and Sarge went to, weren't there? Oh, is that the A... AEG. Yeah, that's the sort of industry one, though, isn't it? So yeah, hopefully yeah. someone in an arcade has bought one and are playing mm. it. it. And 
and also Sega Amusements have done an official advert as well for Mario and Sonic's at the Olympics 2016. Now, you've mm-hmm. put on here, nope. Don't like the look <laughs> of it. I like the look of it. It's no. it's a motion game. You've got to run. You've got to run. Pitter patter your feet on the on the on the sort of dance mat type thing, and you've got to move your arms and stuff. It's all motion control. So. You, You've actually got to get on there and do some exercise, like a Wii thing, but on a big screen. I think it looks quite fun. It's got little rails on it, like, say, one of those dance machines. Yeah, it looks daft. I like it. And you've got to run like a... No, too energetic. Well, you can have one go, but then go and have a sit down, have some chips. Have a lie down, yeah, and then play something with just a controller. No, (laughs) don't like it. Don't like it. I like the look of it. I think it's fun. I'm going to have a go at that. So that's we put a link in the show notes for that. that's another one mm-hmm. and here's an interesting story i know you knew a bit about this so in a very in-depth v- review really of the creation of donkey kong mm. and the bit that got me i knew most of it but i didn't know that nintendo hired contractors back in the early 80s or late 70s to yeah, make late 70s game. yeah yeah there's a company so, called ikigami yeah and they did off the top of my head they did all the space fever series space yeah. fever space launcher Space Fever High Split. I've got a feeling they did Sheriff as well. Yeah. And they also did Donkey Kong. And I think they did a bit of Donkey Kong Jr. That's when it goes a bit funny. I think Nintendo was supposed to have taken their code or something that they sued each other and blah, blah, blah. And something happened mm. legally. And I think that's when Nintendo took on their own. They started making their own games because they did Popeye and other games from then on. And Mario mm. Brothers and you know, Super Mario and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah, a bit of an interesting thing to watch if you don't, if you don't know about it already. Mm. Yes, that's really interesting. Oh, I think they did Skyskipper as well. Right. Yeah. Ah. Mm. Another link we have here is Ghostbusters is not only a new pinball, it is also a new video game as well. I saw this. You fire ping pong balls at at a a screen. screen. Right in Ghost's faces. (laughs) Yeah, and it's like, um, it's almost like a redemption game, I think. It looks fun, though. Yeah. There's a game recently, it's a modern game for kids, where you threw little um, like bean bags at the screen mm. to hit monsters and, and fuzzy things on the screen and that, and I think you got it's obviously tickety things nowadays, but that looked yeah. quite a fun game. But I'm sure people would nick all the uh, the bean bags or start throwing yeah. bricks at it or something. <laughs> yes, yeah, so this is an on rail shooter, but there's a little I think it's like a kind of a cage thing where you you've got the guns and instead of just shooting at the screen like the the normal ones you're actually shooting a ping pong ball at the screen yeah it sounds fun though doesn't it yeah bong, 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 bing. <laughs> I ain't free to no toast or oh, ping pong balls doesn't have the same ring to it does it no oh and ask and you know we talked about the r360 Sega hardware the big gyroscope you sit in yes one has just appeared on UK VAC for evaluation. It's in mm. Spain, and the seller is asking for €6,000 for it. Oof! Bargain. Uh, Craig Walker of Giz 10 p the Sega people, mm. has been in touch, and he actually has the one from Mr. B's we spoke about, the one in Blackpool. Yeah? yeah wow. He, that's the one he's got, the one that you played as a wee nipper. Wow. He says it's currently got a fault, but Craig knows how to fix it. I think he's got it in storage, but he's going to be dragging it out soon. I would love to have a go at that. I think Craig Zoo somewhere up north near you, I think. Manchester. Up that right. area. I can't remember where he is now. But that would be never awesome. Met him. He's a really nice guy. Him. Really good guy. Mm. Brilliant fixing monitors. Mm-hmm. I watched a video on, on the R360 recently on YouTube just to remember how it was. Math. I never did play it, by the way. I just sort of looked at it in fear as it spun round. I would love a go nowadays. Yeah, I would. It I'd looks play crazy. It. And that new one with the Transformers game is a lot faster, apparently. 
it, it changes <laughs> from left to right and up and down a lot quicker. It's got like more modern motors on it and such, I think. Mm. Oh, I also noticed on the Sky Cursor Facebook page that real life arcade legend Eugene Jarvis loves Sky Cursor. Mm, that's he a said it was playing. really good. That is a massive achievement unlock for the guys over at Griffin Air Attack. Ping! Oh, there we go. One of them. Ping. Eugene Jarvis liking your game. What more could you want out of life? That's super cool, isn't it? It's super cool. Uh, yeah, talking to Facebook, uh, the, the Toby guy from Las Vegas Arcade Soho that we, we went January, did we go this yep, year? Toby in the Natcorn. He yeah. posts a lot on Facebook. He's really into the dance games. I love watching his posts, actually. They're really good. Mm-hmm. But apparently it's... It's passed us by, I think, because of our age, but it's a massive competitive tournament-led thing, isn't it? There's oh, it's just... a massive scene, the DDR games and, and the pump yeah. up. They're massive. There's two, what he was on about, there's two massive tournaments. One's called In the Groove Euro Cup in Helsinki. Say it properly. In the Groove. <laughs> I think I said it properly, to be honest, then. Mm. And the Finland World Pump Festival. Mm. And we're not not about pumping your bike tyres up, kids. No. I've got a puncher again. I've, I've got a puncher on my bike. Again. Do you know, I think it's the roads around here. People just throw tacks into the roads. Ooh. Oh, dear. Not, not, yeah, tacks, that's the word, and them little pinny things. Do you want to get on with this bit? I could do, yeah. Heart of Gaming... <laughs> The hog. The hog. It's the back hog. with a vengeance. It's back in the bush of the shepherds. I will get onto Mark and get the lowdown. What's going down? I got a mm. feeling it's in the sh- one of the shepherds' bush shopping centres. That'd be a brilliant place for it to be. Yeah. So it was a bit out of the way before. Central location. Yeah. 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 Also, cool. I will get onto Mark for the lowdown for next time about that. Mm. Cool. Mm. Oh, our mate Rob McMullen from over at the. Player Missile podcast, the Atari 800 podcast, mm-hmm. has been a roving reporter for us in California Extreme and kindly recorded an audio walk round as we weren't fortunate enough to be there with him, the lucky dog. And I'll pop that in right here. Hey, Sean and Vic, here at the California Extreme 2016. It's a big arcade convention here in Santa Clara, uh, which is a suburb of San Jose. We're in a hotel ballroom, and the first thing you do, you walk in, and just hear the noise. When you walk straight in, there's a bunch of arcade games on the left and some pinballs and stuff in the center. I'm just going to walk around and see if I can find a path and describe all the arcade games mostly. I'm probably going to skip the pinballs because I don't know enough about pinball to describe any of the pinball stuff. So you first walk in and take a right. The first thing you see is a Sprint 8, which is a key games. It's a square kind of a square kind of pedestal thing. There's like eight wheels on it. Each of you can control one of the little cars. An eight-player game, that's pretty cool. There's a few fighting games. There's an X-Men versus Street Fighter. Uh, some other combination shooting game. There's a, a Blitz game, an American football game. There's a couple Area 51s. Aliens game. Night Striker by Taito. It was a punch-out to the dual-screen thing. I remember playing that. Cybots. It's like a 3D... It's like a maze game combination thing. Star Wars Trilogy Arcade. Lethal Forces, the shooting game. Another X-Men versus Street Fighter. Karate Champ. There's a tournament cyberball game by Atari. It's, uh, it's not working. It looks like a two-player. It's kind of a 90-degree dual cabinet with two monitors. But I've never seen that before. 
walk around the corner here, there's a bunch of, I don't know what these are, like, Dance Dance Revolution kind of games, Beat Mania is one, Guitar Freaks, Keyboard Mania, Drum Mania, Poppin' Music, Poppin' Stage, it's called Sound Voltex. There are modern games that got a HD monitors kind of standing vertically. Then we get to another little row of classic games. There's Satan's Hollow, Missile Command, Dick Dug, Wizard of War. There's a Neo Geo system. I think this has got Puzzle Bobble on it. There's Bump and Junk, Cloak and Dagger, Galaxian, Zaxxon, Gyrus. Oh yeah, and I played a couple games of Gyrus just checking out that uh, Monroe joystick. It's much different than a regular joystick. It certainly made the game a lot easier to play. It's a very, it's, the joystick itself is very, it had a big spring on it, hard to push around. Next to that scramble, and then Galaga 88. And then a whole bunch of pinballs, which I'll skip. Headed back down the other way, there's a game, it's a Namco game, a prop cycle. It's like you're sitting on an exercise bike, sort of flying this thing around. It's like a pedal-powered hang glider. You're trying to fly and capture all these balloons. It's a huge thing. It's probably 10 feet long. And next to it is a, it looks like a more modern game. It's a magical truck adventure. It's, a, it's like a hand car on a railway. You're trying to and you have these sort of big levers you push up and down just like you're supposed to be on a hand car. But across from it is more classic stuff. There's a 10-yard fight. Scramble. Carrier air wing, a horizontal shooter. There's Millipede, Golden T99, Galaga, Cyber Police SWAT. Cyber Police SWAT, is that right? Hagrosword Clax, Primal Rage, Chase HQ. My Taito's got a nice marquee with the red and blue uh, flashing police lights. A couple Terminator Salvation games with the HD. I don't know if they're linked or not, but they've got HD screens and big shooters. Another row of shooters here, Terminator Judgment Day. And there's a Cheyenne, which is an old game. Looks a lot like the same cabinet like Crossbow. I don't know if you remember that one, which they don't have, but it's one I remember. There's a set of like five linked cabs called The Grid, which is, I think, some sort of futuristic fighting game. Pinballs, we'll skip. There's Phoenix, Pengo, oh, Slither, which is a kind of a poor centipede clone. It's different from centipede in that you can move the little shooter anywhere on the screen, not just the bottom like border. But you, and you can shoot up and down. But I played it, it's not a very good game, I would say. There's Curl, Tutankham, Ladybug, Crystal Castles. Rolling Thunder, Wacko, which is an interesting cabinet. It's kind of built on a slant, so the left side of the control panel is higher than the right, and the marquee is the same way. Not a very good game, though. It's, it's interesting in the fact it's like a twin stick shooter, um, but you've got to match these pairs of monsters. So you shoot one, and it kind of looks like it spins, and then you've got to match the pair before you can shoot anything else. Fast Freddy, Arkanoid, Gottlieb's Reactor. 
which is a game if you've uh, listened to the Antic interview series. They interviewed a guy, his name escapes me, but he worked for Gottlieb, and it was the sound design, I think, for Gottlieb, and this is one of the first games he worked on. I could not figure it out. It's a trackball game, and there's like a reactor in the center, like a nuclear reactor, and you've got to move around and bump all these things. I don't know. It's hard for me to figure out. Sega World Cup, which is, wow, that's an old game. An original Pong, signed by Al Alcorn and Nolan Bushnell. Boot Hill, which is unfortunately not working. There's an old game, it's an Atari game, it's in a yellow cab. Uh, it's kind of a Pong-looking thing, it doesn't have a title on it, I don't know what it is. But you're bouncing this ball back and forth between two paddles. One player has one paddle on the left side, and another player has another paddle on the right. And you get points if you can make your other make your opponent miss. There's Canyon Bomber, which is a one-button game. It's for two players, and you're flying these either balloons or planes over a canyon. Your only button just drops bombs, and you try to get points based on these different numbered targets on the ground. I remember. Uh, Carrington and Mike did an episode of No Quarter where they were wondering about playing games that were like you could play with a single button, and that was that's one of them. It's actually more fun than you think. With just a single button. There's Galaga, Track and Field, Hypersports. Then we come to a row of cabarets. There's a Tempest Cabaret, Robotron, Pac-Man, and Miss Pac-Man. The Atari cabarets all have the marquees below the control panel, and most of the other ones seem to have the marquees above. Like, there's a Bosconian and Galaga cabaret, they have their marquees up above. There's a Battle Zone, unfortunately not working. The Battle Zone is tiny. A couple Centipede cabs, Missile Command, and another tiny Atari cab. Oh, here's a Battle Zone that's working. D, must be a 10 inch monitor. There's a Turbo Outrun. It's got a full-size steering wheel, but it's, a, it's a definitely a cabaret-style cab. And there's a game... Most of these games are set on free play, and there's one that has... I don't know what this this cab is. It doesn't have a title, it doesn't have a marquee. Welcome from Commander Champion, I think it said. It's a trackball game. So, I don't know, Sean and Vic, do you know that game? It's an Atari video pinball. Looks like it's a, a silver screen, so there's a... Screen projecting on an actual pinball table, is that right? No, I don't think it's an actual pinball table. Oh, and there's the Sky Cursor guys demonstrating Sky Cursor and a candy cab. That's super off road. There's a couple mechanical games Zeke's Peak and Ice Cold Beer. I think you've talked about those before, Vic. You've got these two little controls you try to, there's a steel beam or something, and you've got to guide a, a steel marble up and not fall in the holes. A couple Marble, Marble Madness games, Indiana Jones, Temple of Doom, Roadrunner. Oh, and everybody's favorite, Peter Packrat. There's a mini little Neo Geo cab. A couple more candy cab playing something. There's a Super Sprint by Atari. It must, looks like a 68,000 game, you know, kind of a Paperboy era. You recognize this game. Of course, great game. Fire truck at the dual position. Fire truck. Let's go back this way. We got NBA Jam. Oh, 
Buck Rogers Pino Zoom, another Neo Geo, another stand up Spy Hunter. Speed Rumbler that unfortunately is broken, so I don't know what that is, by Capcom. Heavy Barrel, Superman. There's a three screen driving game called F355 Challenge. Gauntlet Dark Legacy. It's a update gauntlet. It's a 3D point of view game. NBA Jam Extreme. Oh, then we get some more classes. The Frogger. Three Stooges. Burger Time. Blasteroid. Sinistar. Then we get to the Williams area. We got Robotron. Defender. A couple Defenders. Bubbles. Stargate. Moon Patrol. Motor Race USA, which I've never seen before. It's a vertical game. Multi-Williams. It also has a lot of non-Williams stuff on it. There's Joust 2 and like three Jousts. I played Joust 2. It's definitely hard. Yeah, it's the first time I'd seen Joust 2 at all. There's an Assault, which is a sort of tank driving game. But interestingly, the tank doesn't rotate. It rotates the, the whole screen around. So the tank always faces up on the screen. It's a little disorienting. There's iRobot, which is that first 3D, like 3D polygon game. Zookeeper, Arrow Fighters, Food Fight. So I'll have to come back and try that joystick. It's got that funky, not quite analog stick. Congo Bongo, Mike McGinnis' favorite game. Burger Time, q -Bird. oh, Mad Planets, that's kind of fun. Street Fighter, 3 Alpha. Street Fighter, Street Fighter. Street Fighter 2. Oh, no, Williams game I missed. Uh, Williams Blaster. A bunch of driving games, Vapor TRX, Hyperdrive, Cruisin Exotica, Thrill Drive, Hydro Thunder, this is actually a boat game, I guess. There's Rush 2049, looks like they have three games linked. A bunch of pinballs that I don't know. There's The Simpsons, there's a Guitar Hero. A bunch of cool cabinets, they've got some modern games and uh, Berkeley-oriented HD screens. They look really nice, but not playing classic stuff, obviously. A bunch of Laserdisc games. There's Gallagher, which apparently is a really rare game. Cliffhanger. Time Gale. Super Don Quixote. Badlands. Interstellar. Space Ace. Dragon's Lair. Road Blaster. Not Road Blasters. Road Blaster or a Laserdisc game. Vega's Battle. Cobra Command. It's an eight-player Indie 800, which is another key games, one of those square pedestal games where you're looking down on the screen. There's uh, drivers on four sides. Right, a 25-inch screen is pretty good. This was in color, though. That other key games in the front was a uh, black and white game. There's a four-player Eliminator. Again, it's one of these pedestal games. There's one player on each of the four sides. It's like a 19-inch monitor, but it's a color vector game. It's a couple four-player versus Pac-Man games. And then the rest of the Pac-Man court is Professor Pac-Man, Pac-Mania, Junior Pac-Man, Super Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Pac-Man and Chomp Chomp, which I've never seen before. There's an eight-foot tile, uh, world's largest Pac-Man. It's on an LED screen, and it's a two-player simultaneous Pac-Man. There's a yellow Pac-Man and a green Pac-Man. 
My son and I played that. That was fun. More Pac-Man. There's a this Pac-Man, a couple more Pac-Man, and then there's a level 255 Pac-Man where it says, play the infamous Pac-Man kill screen. So first you must beat level 255. The ghosts are fast and they don't turn blue. Beat it and you can play the kill screen, level 256. There are three Tron games and a Discotron. Crazy Climber, Polaris, Jungle King, Zookeeper, oh, Frontline, which I hate. It's got a stupid clicky directional thing for the for aiming. Yeah, it's not like a real spinner. It's like an eight-directional clicky thing. There's a Gauntlet 2 and a regular Gauntlet. Bagman, which I've never seen before, but I've seen the marquee, and it's a, it's a really cool marquee. It kind of gives you an idea how to play the game. It's a stern game, and I played it once. It kind of reminded me of the first one I hadn't played it with Spelunker. So I'll have to play it again. That was definitely one that I'd come back to. This is Star Trek, uh, Lunar Lander. Here's the vector section. Asteroids, Asteroids Deluxe. There are three major Havocs, two with the, we call it, roller control, and one is a converted Tempest, it looks like. There's Black Widow, a couple Quantums, a couple Space Duels, Gravatar, Star Wars, and a, looks like a Star Wars environmental cab. There's Space War by Vector Beam. Armor Attack, Star Castle, Barrier, four Tempest Machines, and that's the end of the Vectors, and there's something called the Great Swordsman, Tubin, there's Nibbler, subject of that uh, documentary, I think, another stupid Frontline, Qbert, Pole Position 2, Hard Hat, Pepper 2, Adventure, Adventure's one of the first games I remember, Mousetrap, Flip and Flop, which I... Yeah, it's this first star software. It's one of the few games that made it from the home to the arcade by Fernando Herrera. It looks exactly like an Atari 8-bit. It's like the same kind of graphics modes, graphics modes 1 and 2 and graphics 0. It looks like, wow, this looks like an Atari 8-bit they just stuck in here. I'll have to look at the history of that. Oh, Circus Charlie, one you guys just played. I missed out on, unfortunately. Actually, I played it, I just didn't submit a score, so sorry about that. Galaga, oh, there's Journey, Millipede, Burger Time, Trog, which looks a little more modern. I'm not sure of the time frame of that one. Ah, Shinobi, Snow Brothers, it's like fighting games there. Speed Buggy, King of Dragons, Gorilla War, Golden Axe, Contra, Halley's Comet, that's broken out, so I don't know what that one's like. Huyan. King and Balloons, Timber, oh, Tapper. This has been hacked with the Simpsons characters as the customers. Frogger, Blasto by Gremlin, Moon Cresta, which I hate also. There's a Space Invaders, Tar, one of the very early games, 1980 Exidy game. Dig Dug, Arabian Kangaroo, Centipede, Warlords, a couple stand-up Star Wars. Here's Escape from the Planet of the Robot Monsters, which I've never seen. It's kind of an isometric game. Um, it's like a, it kind of reminds me of Xenophobe if you turn it into an isometric game. SNK game, The Irritating Maze, looks like 1997. A championship sprint by Atari. There's Paperboy. A couple shooting games, House of the Dead 2, Splatterhouse. There's Altered Beast, Magic Sword, Rastan, Rampart. Uh, three-player trackball rampart. And there's Rampage. There's three-player joystick. 
Total Carnage, Smash TV, Michael Jackson's Moonwalker, Final Fight, Street Fighter 2, Tetris, there's Road Blasters, the Atari shoot 'em up driving game, Galaga, Elevator Action, is that Kickman? I've seen that one, 81 Midway game, 720 Punch Out. Uh, versus Goonies, and then we have a Nintendo section. We have Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Donkey Kong 3, uh, versus Castlevania. And the next is the uh, Fix-It Felix game. It's an LCD screen, though, so it must, I don't know if it's one of the original ones that Disney made. A couple Mario Brothers, another versus Goonies. And here is Killer Queen, the 10-player game. Uh, I have no idea how you keep track of who's who in there. They all, to me, they all look the same. And if you haven't seen it, it's... I think you guys have seen it, right? It's uh, two large, probably 50-inch high-def screens divided into like five players on each screen. And it looks like it's platforming. You're kind of jumping around and doing something. I don't know what. It's super cool looking, but I have no idea. And I'm saving the best for last year. There's a whole section of prototype games. So there's one called Chicken Shift. Better be careful how I say that. It's a two-button game, and all you have are red and blue like items that you can flip. So on some levels, there's little like tubes you, you turn around. There's some another level with uh, gates you can flip up. There's some little trapdoors. It's all about getting eggs to safety, so you got to direct them different places. There's Zizix, which is some sort of maze-type game. You got to do a little player trying to move up to the top of the screen. There's Cosmic Cruiser, which to me sounds a whole lot like Tron. It's got, it's got the same controls as well, so I don't know if it's that by the same company or... I can't tell who it's made by. Oh, it's Bally, yeah, so it's the same company. There's Turkey Shoot, a Williams game with a... Uh, Gun, you're shooting through the screen. Another Williams game, Inferno. There's a game called Eek. It's like a climbing platform game. There's Razzmatazz by Sega, which is some sort of... I don't know, it's like a shooting game I tried to play. Yeah, you can see why some of these are definitely uh, prototypes and never made it out. Teeter Torture, which is an early game where all these sort of weights drop. Your, uh, your little shooter's on the middle of a teeter-totter. Weights drop and kind of tilt your teeter-totter one way or the other, and then if it goes far enough, it sets off a TNT that blows up your uh, your shooter. It's a game called Freeze, which is like a candy cab, and something called Top Secret, which is not working. Accelerator, a Atari prototype game. There's a Crystal Castles prototype. Dragon Master, which looks like it's an 83 Atari game. It's sort of a hand-drawn marquee. So it's just kind of paper stuck there. Or maybe it's Fire Beast? I don't know. It's got a different label on the, on the screen itself. There's Moonquake, another Atari prototype game. Nightmare, another Atari, looks like. Marble Man, which looks like a sequel to Marble Madness. There's a little uh, cabaret of some vector game that's unlabeled. It's just... You're bouncing a little ball left and right between two paddles. Vector Pong? Oh, Vector Pong. There's a Cinematronics one called Solar Quest. It, de- it reminds me of the Cinematronics games for sure. Like a, a rip-off. There's a sun in the center near this little asteroid-style ship flying around destroying other ships, and then you have to pick up little survivors that pop out of these ships. There's Space Fury, which I even remember seeing in the arcades. 
it's a gremlin game, so it's another, it's a vector, it's in the style, I think, of Eliminator, but, well, it's kind of Asteroids-like as well, so there's stuff, you got an Asteroids-style rotating ship, and then you, you can gather up all these power-ups for your ship and shoot things that come towards you. There's War of the Worlds, another vector game that's not very fun. You've got a shooter on the bottom of the screen, and these... Like the three-legged walkers from the H.G. Wells story come walking towards you, but you can't really... I don't know, I didn't find it very easy to control. There's boxing bugs, which I have absolutely no idea what's going on here. You're in the center, you're, you have a rotating control, you're in the center, and you can have this boxing glove on a spring that can shoot out in one direction, and then you can, like, shoot stuff the other direction. And, yeah, it's very strange. Finally, the last one is a Tail Gunner, which is a game I remember seeing in my local arcade. It's a blue vector game. I, I imagine it's just like black and white but with a blue overlay. But you're the Tail Gunner in the back of this futuristic spaceship, shooting spaceships that are headed towards you. It's got an interesting control. It's an analog joystick that controls the crosshair on the screen. On that note, guys, I'll have to sign off. Unfortunately, Sean, they don't have Flicky, but they had a whole bunch of great games that I had never seen before. So it's a, it's a great time out here. And sometime when you're in the States, you'll have to come visit. Right, let's just talk about that. Loads mm-hmm. of older games there. One of the first ones he talked about was the eight-player sprint. Have you ever seen that, Cabinet? Not in the flesh. One of them was for sale on UK VAC recently. It was somewhere in Europe. I can't remember where it was. But it's huge. It's got like I think it's got like 12 circuit boards inside all, wow. all wired together and talk they talk to each other but this is an old it's a color game because each of your players has got a different colored race car on a black mm. and white screen so it was an early color game but it's it looks a lot of fun you all gather around it with eight eight controls eight lots of steering wheels and pedals mad machine mm. he also mentioned wacko i love that the galloping ghost it's a really odd slanty machine yeah it's i've seen it yeah you it's can't strange, really yeah. play it on MAME or on emulation because it uses, I think it's a twin stick or it's a dial, I can't remember. But you've got right. to shoot all around you. It's such a cool little game. And the actual cabinet is beautiful because it all glows. It's all sort of like um, like luminous colours and it glows with black black backlights and stuff. It's really, really nice. Mm-hmm. It also mentions Canyon Bomber, which is a one-button Atari game. Mm. And it reminds me, very similar to Blitzkrieg on the VIC-20, there was a raft of those kind of games where a bomber flies across, and when you press the button, you shoot down, and it, it blows up the buildings. You've got to try and level the, the city before you can land your plane. Very hard game to play. I think I had one that I typed in from a magazine listing in Com- on Com- Commodore 64 Basic. Yeah, definitely. And actually, it did actually work. I don't think they missed anything off the magazine listings like they used to do, like a line of Yeah, they always <laughs> miss something, and it just crashed and <laughs> yeah. just fail, and you'd be like six hours down the drain. Yeah. I did that a lot. Also, Rob passed my mates the Skycursers. He went past them when they were demonstrating their game. I think Chris Cruz was there flying the flag for Griffin Aerotech. Mm. There was also the massive Pac-Man there, the huge LED game we talked about. And also, he mentions Flip and Flop, because they had had a section of prototype games, and he mentioned a game called Flip and Flop, and it was indeed an Atari 800 game. I used to have that. So you're a kangaroo and a monkey. When you're on top of the bricks, it's sort of an isometric game. You're the kangaroo hopping up. I think you, I think it's like, mm. as far as I remember, and please correct me, listeners, if I'm wrong, it's a bit like Cubert, where you, you jump on the tiles to change the colour. And then when you go down the ladders, you turn you go into a monkey and you're underneath. 
and you do the underneath ones. I think it's like it's a weird game, but that was an arcade game apparently. I'm not familiar with that one. Uh, just just YouTube, you'll find it. It was a good little game. Mm, flip and flop. And guess what? Rob hates what, Moon yes. Presta. Yes. Fist well, pump. Well, Rob, as we say in the UK, Rob, give your head a wobble, son. I'd never heard that before. That will confuse me. You've not heard that. Give your head a wobble. No. Might, might be a... <laughs> You've got a wobbly <laughs> head already with that flipping beard on it. <laughs> it might be a northern thing. It means sort your head out. Oh, you right. Know, to, Come to your senses, that's what it means. Oh, okay. I normally have to say have a word with yourself. But no, Rob is correct. Anyway, no, he also saw mm. Killer Queen, 10-player game. Killer Queen! That, for the laser beam. that looks so yeah. cool. I really want to go at that game. And a loads, of, a loads and loads of different prototypes out there, which would have been interesting. And the Atari pinball that we played at Smarty Martins as well. Oh, the video pinball. Yeah. It's such a good game. It's that so clever how it works. Yes. It's really, really beautiful machine as well. Mm. There's a new replay effects event, which I think that's a yearly thing. It's next weekend in Pittsburgh, so people are gearing up for that. Nice one. I think the Galloping Ghost guys are going to that, I think. I will be there in spirit only. Yes. Flying the flag or not. Right, I've made up a new section. Oh, have you? Go on. Yeah, called, called Not Arcade News. Arcade News. Not! Yeah, oh, that's better. Go on. Yeah. You know, Time Pilot. Vector Pilot. Vector pilot, yeah, yeah. The same author is working on Mo- a Moon Patrol, which is called, which is obviously called Vector Patrol. It looks very good from what I've seen. And someone's put on, with his permission, they've put on a little YouTube beta test of the cowboy mode. Yeah, really clever, isn't it? How you, instead of controlling your little moon buggy, you're a cowboy yeah. on a horse. Yeah, oh, brilliant! It's so good. I, how he puts these. I knew about it. it. I knew he was doing this extra mode. Mm, I did. But, it, but it looks brilliant. The thing that gets me as well is the sound is. Is bang on already, you know, to the arcade game. The 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 background tune, the jumping, the firing sounds, about as close as a Vectrex can get. The Vectrex has got a very good sound um, amp in it. Uh, sorry, a sound chip in it. And mm. some of the some of the um, I've got some demos on there, which is just music and like a picture. People have just done them as a de- on the demo scene, and they're really really good tunes. That is a really mm. capable processor in there. It's really mm, really it good. Is. It's a, I think it's a 64K cartridge as well. That's how he gets it. So yeah, so detailed and so many sort of extra levels and stuff like it was in uh, Vector Pilot. I will definitely be parting with money to buy the original cartridge when it comes out. Definitely. Because mm-hmm. I've got mm-hmm. Vector Patrol and it's one of the best purchases I've ever done for that, that machine. Absolutely it's brilliant. Awesome. It's such a good game. I saw this one a little while ago and first I thought it was a bit of a, a joke. But it's mm-hmm. actually real. Nintendo announced the NES Classic Mini 31 Tiny Unit. Mm. It's it's a little tiny NES that fits on your hand. It's got some extra controllers you buy separately, and it plays 30 games. It's like a NES on a chip, I suppose. But mm. I, I know what everyone's going to do. They're just going to spy it, rip the guts out, and put a Raspberry Pi in it. So you can have yeah. every single NES game you ever want on there, emulation, with the little controllers. Yeah. It's such a neat little thing. It's really pretty. I think I'll be parting with my money with that as well. It's so cute, isn't it? It's going to get my money. I'm sure Amazon already have got a pre-order for the machine, the little machine, and the, one of the controllers, which you've got to buy separately, for a certain price. I can't remember what it was now. 40 50 pounds? can't remember. Yeah, it's forty nine ninety nine. Is yeah. that with the controller? Well, it says a key ring. Is, is that the controller? A key ring controller? I don't know. Key fob. Key fob. It's a, it'll be a tiny controller anyway, but yeah, yeah. I, I, I do like it. So what I'll it do is, is I'll cute. buy it, play it, and then put a pie in it. Pie. Pie. 
Not a steak and kidney. No, a ste- no, no, no raspberry steak pie. Guess what I've had for tea? What did you have for tea? Lasagna. Ooh, nice. Wife's homemade lasagna. Everyone likes awesome. a lasagna. When I come and see you, can she make it again? Yeah. Ooh, thank it's you. Awesomeness. And I give a bit of... Oh, I should have done this in the shout-outs, actually. But there's a YouTube channel called Retro Revisited. Okay. Which I'll put a link in the show notes. Mm-hmm. And I really like it because it's like a 10-minute sort of little bite-sized news news review yeah. of of the month in retro games. So it's oh, everything good. covered, you know. And I've watched about six of them going back to the beginning of this year. And they're, they're really excellent. I really like it. I haven't time to look at it yet, but I should be a subscriber. Mm. Simple e- everything that. you need to know in 10 minutes, what's happened and some stuff I didn't know. Cool. Another news. Yes. Or another not news. How has Pokemon Go taken over the entire world in two weeks? Pokemon No. It's PAP. <laughs> it's not even a game. It's just wandering around and then flicking your phone. Yeah. I, I don't get it. Wife well, was playing it, and and Kerry and Vip today were walking down the road. In fact, when I was assembling the Naomi earlier, they were all talking about it, and I sent all of them individually a message saying, get in the sea. <laughs> What's wrong with you people? I actually stopped what I was doing to write them a message, even though they were in the same room as me, just so they'd know what I was talking about. I don't, it, I don't get it. I walked past people today, insane. all with phones in their hand, and I looked at their screens all playing the damn thing. What is it about? Every so often you get a no. game that becomes like a cultural phenomenon. And this is one of them. It's just, it's just grabbed everyone's imagination for some reason. I don't normally like looking at positive things. So I'm a <laughs> Grinch. But it does get people out of the house. And you could mm-hmm. say, yeah, get out of the house anyway, you lazy get. And go and have a walk and get some fresh air. But some people who might have anxiety, it's... Sort of pulling them out and getting them out of doors, which is a good thing. Mm. So I, I can I can't really moan about it, mm. and it'll be it's gone just... soon. It's a fad. It'll make Nintendo billions of pounds, and then it'll be, go away and blah blah blah. Mm. But just don't get run over, kids. Playing it, no, look. Don't, don't walk cross... off of cliffs or anything. No, don't do that. Silly. Here's some more not arcade news. Pac-Man Championship Edition Two has been announced. The original was a 2007 cool Pac-Man spin-off, which I did buy on PS3, and it is designed by the original Pac-Man guy Toru Iwatani. Oh, genius! So I think there was a Pac-Man DX that came out after that, a deluxe edition that I didn't see, but I think it was similar. Yeah. And now, now there's this one, Championship Edition Two. But that is arcade news. Is it not coming out in the arcade? Um, no, it's just... I the think first just... one's really good in the arcade. It's got a four-player table or a four-player pedestal machine. And I, I really like it. I think that's Battle Royale, that. Oh, is it? Is that what I'm thinking mm. of? But this yeah. one, I saw the video of it. I watched the video. It's on the notes. Really good. It looks absolutely bonkers, but in a good mm. way. Good I, li- bonkers. I like the idea of the massive ghost. Mm. There's a bit where you get this massive ghost that takes up like, almost a, like a quarter of the screen. I ain't afraid of no toast. You would be if you saw this ghost. He's massive. And you have to avoid large parts of the maze because he's huge. And if he touches you, you've had it. So you've got to, but he's moves, he moves quite slowly, I think. So you've got to contend with the little ghost trying to get you and also this big one getting in the way. It looks really good. He's a shadowy being that stalks large areas. <laughs> also, another old classic old friend. character is coming back to life. Yeah, well, I like never, this. Victor never likes gone this. away, really. Mm. There's a new Sonic coming called Sonic Mania, spring 2017, and it is a kind of a remix of a lot of the old levels from the original Sonic with added bits to it. Yeah. So it's going to please all the fans of the 2D Sonics, I think. This actually looks good, right? Mm. Sega ruined 
underlined, ruined Sonic with that 3D travesty on the Dreamcast. Awful oh, game. I liked one of the GameCube ones, 3D Sonic. No, oh, no, no, Thank no, you. no. Get in your box. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was no. either, I, I get a mix up, it was either Sonic Adventure Battle 2 yeah. or Sonic Heroes. The one only, of them the two. The 3D Sonic was Flicky's Island on the Mega Drive and the Saturn. Brilliant. Ooh. Otherwise, uh, rubbish. And mm. I thought the best thing they could do for Sonic is stay right out of the way and release source code to the fans and let them build their own levels, which is just what this game looks like. So, nice one. I really like the look of it. It would be really, really, really cool if they released a Mega Drive on a cartridge for it. Those mm. Mega Drive guys would eat it up like pie. Mm, pie. Cartridge pie. Mm. That would be really cool. Any more not news or arcade news? <laughs> no, I think that could be it, Vic. Let's do some pickups then. Pickups! Shall we do my pickups first? Do yours! Should we do mine then? Yeah. Mine, there's some bits of arcade stuff, but not really. I have been very busy lately, and we will talk about that in a few weeks' time, why I've been busy, because it's a bit of a secret going on, but it's a good one. Right, 3D printer filament. I'm currently trying to make a case for all the control parts of a Raspberry Pi Girl DIY console. It's a screen, a Raspberry Pi Zero, some controls, in a little tiny sort of horizontal case that looks a bit like... I don't know, like an old Game Boy Advance, I suppose, but small. Mm. I'm trying to do that. And I actually printed out the top half successfully. It looked really, really nice. Really nice finish on it, everything. Unbeknownst to me, I was using bendy filament rather than proper PLA, stiff stuff. Because mm. mother-in-law had bought me some extra filament for my birthday, but she bought this bendy stuff, and I didn't know it even existed. I didn't even realise until I sort of pressed the thing when it finished. It was all bendy. It feels like a phone case. What's going on? It's not supposed to be bendy like this. And I realised what it was. Oh, Mr. Soft, how come everything around you is so soft and rearranged? But I did make a few test prints with the bendy stuff. I made, I made a really cool octopus, 3D octopus, and I made a penguin for the wife. She likes mm. penguins. And it's quite good stuff, but you can't really use it for anything practical. Because it's not mm. st- stiff enough to do it. People make like springs and, and bumpers and things like that out of it and toys and stuff. Because it's quite yeah. bendy. You could make the world's longest lasting chewing gum out of it. It would be pretty chewy. Mm. Bitey. Mm. <laughs> yeah. So I also went to buy some white filament to replace the bendy stuff and some black. I wanted black and white. And I've also got glow in a dark red, which is quite cool. Oh, that'd be good for the buttons. Yeah, and I've also bought a, like a test pack. Where you've got like 10 different colours, a little small, small reel of 10 different colours. So I've got loads of colours now anyway. But I also bought more wrong filament. This is how <laughs> stupid I am. I bought ABS instead of PLA on the black. I can use it, but it's a lot harder to get it to work right. You've got to run it hotter. You've got to do things to the glass table to make it stick, and it's just more difficult. So what I'll probably do is I'll probably sell that to someone who, who uses ABS more than I do, because I bought another one of, of PLA anyway, so I've got that. But yeah, what an idiot, am I in the wrong stuff again? Duh! I bought a control board for my servo stick, because mother-in-law didn't realise she had to buy that with it, so I bought that. So that's all ready for a jammer cab soon. Nice. I got a booty Tetris board from someone. It's got problems on it, we got it for free, so I didn't mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, also bought a zero-delay joystick encoder for Vip's new Naomi, which we spoke about, which we collected today i can't use it though because it's a joystick encoder rather than a keyboard encoder 
Yeah. Because with an iPack, Ultimark iPack, and various clones of it, I presume, I always use the original Ultimark ones, when you press one player start and two player start at the same time in main, it, it acts as escape and it quits you out of the game back to your front end. Yeah. yeah. With a joystick, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You haven't got a button combination, as far as I know, on a zero delay that produces that escape button to escape out of it. So you can use the controls, no problem. You can start a game with it, and you can put coins in. You can put a set of, a button for coins and all that sort of stuff. But you can't escape out of it. So Sarge is sorting us out with an iPad for cheap, which is really cool of him. So we'll be doing that soon. So Very another nice. fail on my behalf. But I can use the zero delay. It was only £6.50. Mm. I can use that for controls to a Pi build. Because in the pie, you can you can set your button to do different things, but in MAME you can't do it unless you knew how to recompile MAME, which I'm not clever enough to do. Hmm. So that's about it for uh, pickups, really. But a yeah. lot more are coming very soon. Oh, good. <laughs> for you as well. Mm, very nice, very nice. Let's do our next section, which is feedback. Feedback. First one's from Tin, Brother of Bronze. Oh my god, the weeks are flying by. Sorry not to get involved with the games for a few podcasts, although I did play Pac-Mania and hated it. Just a minute. (laughs) Yeah, what's wrong with him? It's a good game. And the usual thanks for your great podcasting skills. Skills with a Z. Skills. Skills. WTG Bob. Awesome podcast, as always, chaps. Just a quick message to say, whilst in Japan... Ooh! I had a go with the Transformers Human Alliance Special and also the Storm G Game Stroke Rides. They were both brilliant, but not really games, more rides than anything. My girlfriend hated Storm G. She felt sick because I kept spinning the bobsleigh. It's a huge eight-player, he thinks, ride. Two people in each bobsleigh as you race down the course, and then when you whack the button, it spins you into a loop. Great fun. Oof. Just don't have your dinner before you get on it. I Tony Temple, we listened to this in the car last night, enjoyed it, and thanks for the continued shout-outs, chaps. No that's problem, ar- Tone. Yeah, that's the arcade blogger site. Has it's he done any more RB... new ones? I can't remember his site. We'll put it in the show notes. I'm looking he's, at them later. He's just done one with John Studley, which I haven't read yet. Oh, I haven't. I'm looking forward to that. Cool. Benson Rad, another great podcast. Halfway through it. You mentioned the Xbox Coin-Ops 8 early on, and Sean struggling with the control pad. This is what I've had of recent... I found trying to play old arcade games with an Xbox pad quite painful. So I've invested in an X-Arcade twin stick for a more authentic feel and less pain. Arcade hand. I've yet had a chance to actually try it out, but we'll report back when I do. Mm. I firmly, firmly believe you need to play arcade games with a joystick. Yeah. Because yeah. I play some emulators on my Naomi now and again. I've got NES, SNES, and Mega Drive on there. And playing some of the, the old games with a joystick is much more fun. I think sometimes you need a pad to play authentic games like a NES or whatever, but I'm just better with a joystick. It suits my hand-eye lack of coordination, I think. Yeah, I struggle with with D-pads now. I don't know how I manage. My thumb starts to hurt. When I play my PSP or my Vita for a little while, when I'm travelling, it does hurt my thumb a bit. Mm. Ooh, Ooh. arthritis thumb. (laughs) Next feedback is from... Is that Mark? Mark Mark Kirby. Mark Kirkby, yeah. 
Kirkby. Hi, finally caught up on the podcast after a few weeks off. Trips to Europe and workload mean I have to, have to forego my entries in the 10p charts for a while, but hopefully we'll be back with a vengeance with my entry for Jungler. Ooh. My target was always to be in about one-tenth of whatever Charlie Fargo is. <laughs> That's all of us. I oh, know. But as I seem to have de- developed maze game superpowers in my old Ooh, age, you never know. Hopefully, going to make it down to revival this year, so I can thank you in person with some sort of obscure biscuity treat. Oh, oh that'd be nice. Oh. You, Mark. Any chance Fit could update us on the 3D printer he bought? It just does. Oh, yep. I will. I'll tell you what I'll do, Mark. I will. When I get a chance after editing this podcast through the week, I've got a few other things to do, but I'll try and do a bit of a blog and put it on the website. I'll put some tweets and Facebooks out when I actually do it. But I'm going to sort of write up what I've been doing with the 3D printer because I've been modding it a little bit i've had some successes and some fails so Oof. yeah we're getting there it's a learning curve and i am enjoying learning it i really am mm. he also says been looking around for a while to get one for a few retro console projects Absolutely. but it would be good be good to get a recommendation and even a couple of minutes and of hints and tips no problem and finally bring back the 10p choir the metal years <laughs> death rat death rat Right, Vip and Kerry have started the Arcade Cab Collection, as we now know. Uh, and it says about me driving up on Sunday. Oh, sorry. This is me driving up on Sunday of Revival Weekend to help put it back together for him. Because at mm. the time I wrote this, I wasn't going to go up and get it with him. But now I have. It's it's assembled. Probably just needs a bit of wiring doing it and the computer put inside and blah, blah, blah. And the wires put to the joysticks and stuff. He's also mm. using... He's put. He's, he's done a little bit of photoshopping on a white van and put arcade in your face van hire on the side of it <laughs> it's very good we all that. have to put that in the show notes people look at that it's quite cool he's done a good job awesome, of that. that darren does borg of retro domination podcast he said i haven't laughed so much on your show before sean you need to beatbox more often oh that's me going oof, oof, no, you yeah. shouldn't. No, you shouldn't. such a great episode i'm neutral about pandora's palace mm, no yeah I, I was sort of been playing it for about two years on and off Ooh. i agree with sean with it being a fun game, but Vic has a point. It's frustrating as hell. Mm. Can only play the game once in a while. Otherwise, I get in a bad mood. Yeah, I, I thought it was a bit weird to start with. Then got into it, competing with wife. And then we both ended up hating it because it got too frustrating. Getting knocked off the things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what <I> did. <laughs> Check out the Retro Domination Neo Geo podcast. Actually. I already have. It was good. It's really good, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very informative. Good. Lots of stuff in there that I didn't know actually, I, especially I about the, one. especially about the little handhelds. I've got a handheld. I've got a black and white banana color. Ah, they were really I, neat little things. They came out in the UK, and like a blip, I think I got mine, and I got a few games later, about three games. But it, it later on when it sort of tanked, didn't do very well. Even though it was a brilliant little machine. It came out in a blister pack, and you got like eight games with it, just without the car- without the covers, just the cartridges. It was mm. a really neat little machine. It's really good little, mm. which I really liked it. It had some good little games on it as well. Their version of Sonic was really good, really good two D version. It's awesome game. Mm. Pete Han, Gamer of the Year, great episode as usual, guys. You've now both reached the highest regards I can hold anyone in. With you adding the Jesse Ventura sound clip from Predator in this episode, <laughs> you're very welcome. What more could you want out of a cheesy Predator type film? Yes, Neil twenty-five. <laughs> Hi guys, this is what Neil says. Having listened to this as soon as it was released, it's only now that I can sit down to leave some feedback. At which point I realise that I've forgotten all that I have to say. That happens to me on a daily Sarge basis. Sarge syndrome, that is. Mm. He does that a lot. 
It does. However, there was a comedy gold moment between yourselves that stuck in my memory as possibly <laughs> one of the best vocals I have ever to be recorded ever. It, it occurred during your walk around of Nerg as you ticked off the pinballs that were there and it went a bit like this. Sean, I think there's a hobbit around here too. Vic, you're a hobbit. Silence. <laughs> I remember that bit. Yeah, you didn't, have, you didn't have an answer for that one. I was highly offended. I was looking at my feet to see if they was hairy. They're quite hairy, your feet, so that's why you're a hobbit. Uh, fair enough. Epic broadcasting, gents. I never had the chance to play Pandora's Palace, so mm. to make amends, I have put a bit more time into this fort- Fortnite's game, Jungler. He has put a lot of time in, and mm. we're going to talk about that soon. At first, I really liked it. It was a simple pick-up-and-play, put-down-repeat. Mm-hmm. A little depth of scoring, but nothing too onerous. And early games were rewarded with regular increases in scoring. Then I kind of hit a brick wall. This is what happened to me as well. With, with around the, at around the 60k mark. Mm-hmm. Stupid deaths, usually caused by stupid snake. Watch out for snake. Being too long to change direction by 180 degrees. Or performing some random circular motion when things got a bit frantic. Yeah. I haven't played it much this week. Hoping to rekindle some love after a few days away from it. I think I'm ready to bin it off my menu, though, and put in some time for the next game choice. As always, measure twice, cut once, Absolutely. and always use the right plastic in your 3D printer. Not sure the, up, not, Meg. Not the bendy stuff. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Neil. Richard Broadhurst. This is an interesting one. I've been listening to your podcast for about a week now, but I'm only up to 15. Sorry, this is a bit of a way out idea. My parents live in Eastbourne, and a while ago mentioned that Sheikh Abid Gulzar had bought the pier. I was wondering if it might be possible to somehow get him interested in hosting a retro arcade on the pier. Then you mentioned there were quite a few people collecting retro arcade machines in the area, and I was wondering if you knew someone who might put a proposal together for an arcade event on the pier, hopefully leading to more, or even a permanent one. Very way out. Well, actually, before I go on to the rest of his feedback, if anyone who lives near Eastbourne, and I know a few people who live near there, why don't you approach this guy and see what he does? If you're interested, mm-hmm. maybe you could take your, your, your cabs there and have a little event. I don't know, because... There was an event down near Eastbourne, wasn't there? It was the the South Coast Slam was down in, in Eastbourne. Mm. That was a really good one. It has been on for a few years now. I really enjoyed that one. We could do with another kind of thing there. And on a pier, that'd be a perfect place for an arcade get-together, wouldn't it? Mm-mm. Cool. Anyway, on to the rest of his feedback about me. I'm 50 this year. have always loved arcades and arcade machines. From mechanical one-armed bandits through jukeboxes, both of which I have, to pinball. We used to have three. And, of course, video games. When I was younger, I ran a couple of arcades on holiday camps as well as working in a couple of our others, and for associated leisure, who used to rent out arcade equipment mostly to pubs. I don't have room for any videos at the moment, so content myself with writing retro arcade ports, restoring and putting on displays of BBC Micros, hence my comment on your Astro Buster page. When I get a chance, I'm going to make a bar top main cabaret as there is nothing like a proper joystick and buttons. I may even hook up my Defender control panel. Mm-hmm. Richard, listen to a few podcasts ago i do three tech tips on making a bar top try and mm. put a crt in it if you can mate it's a bit bigger try and put a crt mm, be worth it and the final bit of feedback from mark happy dude good evening gents once again your pandora's palace podcast was a pleasure to my ears i, I actually look forward to my hour-long drive to work just so i can get some uninterrupted listening mm. mr in your face holly you spoke about the soundtrack to pandora's palace on the U of the Tubes being different to the game you were playing and you thought it may be caused by a different ROM. Well, in, a, 
it's put well in an attempt to set up a favorites folder on my pi setup i used a main for all folder to add the roms to i like my favorite ones and everything else goes into the advanced main folder anyway when i then played pandora's palace from the new folder using a different emulator the soundtrack sounded almost the same but slightly different I believe, as you found on YouTube. So I think the difference you heard were due to the emulation differences and not the ROM differences. I reckon he's right. Yeah. I listened to it on a YouTube, and I was watching a YouTube of it, and it is very different. It's this, the tones sound different. I don't think MAME's quite emulating it properly. Mm, but then again, that, that one yeah. on YouTube, I think, was MAME as well. Maybe it's a different version of MAME, and they've changed... Because they used to do that. They used to change the sound from using, say, samples to generating a sound, and it was never quite right, and samples always sounded mm. better, but they're trying to make a hardware emulation rather than using samples, so they tried to do it. Remember when they did Space Invaders, and it sounded like a... Oh, yeah. It sounded like some sort of asthmatic cat wheezing. A cat, yeah, a cat spitting out a whistle, I think we it said, It was awful, yeah. It sounded yeah. terrible. So maybe that, I did notice that you, you were right, though, because I only played it on MAME and didn't think much of it. When I heard the YouTube, definitely different tones or the way it's generated. Mm, yeah. Well, thanks for that, Mark. Thank you, everyone, for feedback. And it's time to do some shout-outs. Shout-outs. First one was a shout-out to Nad from John Studley about the Snapper machine that was recently sold. The actual one John played back in 1983 when he was a kid. This Mm. was Las Vegas, where Nad watched John play on many occasions on the second top monitor. Mm. So I've got three shout-outs. Rob McMullen for his ex- excellent walk around of the California extreme. From me that also. Re- from me also. Really interesting. Charlie Farr. A, a, well, I know we mention him every every time. A quick shout out for his quest for a million points on every game. Recently conquered Wonder Boy. Wow. Yeah. A million points. A million points on Wonder Boy. Yeah. Try that on Death Race, sir. The world record's <laughs> twenty three. I don't think you'd do that. No. You never know. You just never mm, know. Mm. And also, final shout out to Mark Sinky for helping me put that King of Air board in my little LCD bar top. Thank you, Mark. Nice one. And also to Vip and Kerry for looking after us and buying us dinner today. Very nice of them. Thank you very much. And I'll be seeing them next weekend on Sunday again to help out with the main. They can be playing games. Mm. Also, thanks to Sarge helping us out last minute getting this iPad for us as well. I'm going to pick it up next week before I go to a revival. Thank you, Sarge. Where's his ping? Oh, I can't find it. Oh no! Give one of them instead. You took. You, didn't you take the resonant ping to Nerg? I've got it in the room, I think, somewhere. I was, show, I was showing Phil Golubish the other night. Shout out to him and his wife Anna for meeting up with mm. us. Lovely. Mm. So that's it for the shout outs. If I've forgotten anyone, sorry. I'll give you another one another day. Another day. <laughs> right, we normally do tech tips now. I haven't got a tech mm. this week, so I'm going to do Victor's past cabs instead. Right, this one was the third game I ever got. We're on number three now. And this was an Electrocoin Goliath, which mm. is a jammer cab, and it was from Pool of Bournemouth. I noticed this poor thing in a barn when I went to pick up Pac Mania with my girlfriend's sister, my girlfriend at the time's sister. I asked if it was for sale when I picked up the Pac-Mania, and the guy said he'd ask the boss. I got a call a few days later, and it was for sale. £25. Mm. Plus, he said, 25 quid delivered to my door. Bargain! What year was this? This was about 2006. Yeah, 2006 it was. It's only 10 years ago. Mm. 
The cab was totally untested, and I only had a quick look at it when it was in the barn. So for 50 quid, it'd be rude not to, wouldn't it? To have snagged that. I'm so glad I did. It came in the next few days, and I pushed it into the garage next to the previously purchased Pac-Mania and did some pre-flight checks in the machine to make sure nothing untoward had happened during delivery. And bits have fell off the monitor or some wires mm. were touching or some coins had landed on the, the power supply, which would cause shorts, that sort of stuff. Rats in the bottom of it. You say that in jest, but I've, I've heard about that before. Mm. I've seen nests in, in cabs before. But no, it was, it, was, it was definitely arcade spiders and spindly ones, the really spindly ones, arcade spiders. Oh, arcade spiders. They're everywhere. We've just invented a new spider, haven't we? No, no, it's been around for a long time, since 1979. <laughs> Even Sorry. back then, I was very conscientious with my machines. And it was only my third machine, remember? I guess it's just being an engineer and having that nerdy stroke anal attitude towards things. Yeah. Well, I did find, in my free pre-flight checks, a free Football Champ 1919 game PCB in there. Oh. Which worked fine. It actually worked really well. This was my test PCB for years before I gave it to a mate who actually likes the game. Yeah, really, a football game. What? Who knew? I carefully <laughs> turned on the machine with a test board in there, and a quiet <laughs> came out of the machine, and then some magic smoke was released, along with an acrid smell from the monitor chassis. Oops. I turned it off quick, realised there was something wrong. Doll! It was my first ever arcade failure, because I only had two machines before that, and they worked perfectly. Well, actually, the Pac-Mania board didn't work. The actual machine did. When I put a normal board in, it was fine. Just the PCB mm. was knackered. Bugger. My first arcade fail of many, many more. I rang up my arcade op mate, Scott, who sorted me out one all-in for £70. Same monitor again. Mm. 70, even painted the monitor frame for me. Such a good service. That monitor lasted all the years I had the cab too without a single hitch. Nice. I really love this cab. It was just a jammer cab. It's quite a big one, 25-inch screen. Mm. I use it as my main main machine as well as a standard jammer game because I put a JPack in so I just swap in and out a computer with PCBs. Mm. I left the mon- monitor horizontal as it was a 25-inch screen version without the monitor orientation wheel, which the 19-inch version has. As far as I know, you can change the 25 ones, 25-inch ones vertical, but it's quite a, a lot of unscrewing and messing about, and I never bothered doing it. But I even made a brand-new bent-up steel control panel for it as I hate the way Electrocoin rotate the two-player controls very slightly. They're mm. not uniform, and me and my stupid engineer mind don't like things that are asymmetrical. Yeah. I can't deal with it, so I had to get rid of it and build a whole brand new one. But where I worked at the time, there was a they had a CNC brake press, which is for bending materials. Mm-hmm. So I got some, some thin steel and had it one bent up for me. It was absolutely perfect. I had six buttons per side and two joysticks, in a straight three-top, three-bottom pattern. The top buttons were all leaf switch buttons, and the bottom standard micro-switch jobbies, as I mainly used three-button games. Mm. It had just a plain smoked piece of glass as the monitor glass, which wasn't from factory. It was put on later on. And on my first arcade trip to Arcadia on the Isle of Wight, and it was the first meet with other collectors, I managed to find an original electrical and spangly lines glass, which he had in the back room, for a tenner, in really good condition. So I had that away. And the cab looked really nice then. It looked original. The side art was immaculate. It was just some. It was just red, white, and blue sort of circles and shapes on the side of it. Yeah. And the brand new control panel. I bought a new old stock overlay for it as well. The stripy one, the stripy electrocoin one. If you've ever been to Nerg or Revival or any of the UK shows, James RGP, who often supplies a lot of the machines, has got loads of electrocoin goliaths, and he puts various yes. games in. 
They're really nice machines to play on. I even scored my marathon game of kicker on the machine. Five hours of play without a single fault. That's how good it was. But as all things come towards their end, I sold a machine to two brothers who lived near Croydon. This is when I, I first moved to London. It was quite a big machine and I didn't have room for it really. I was buying other stuff. And these guys lived near Croydon. They had it for quite a while. They were happy with it until they sold it to an electrocoin collector. And it went in his arcade for a while, which I played again. But it was sold again for a lot more than originally sold it for. This shows how much things went up in those years. And it was yeah. a really nice machine. I think I undersold it, really. But back then, a jammer machine was just a jammer machine. They weren't worth much money. And, mm. the, and the years, this was quite a few years on, it obviously gained in price a bit. And it was a good-looking machine as well. So it was sold quite a bit more. And I believe it's still being loved and working to this day. Mm. If a listener has my machine, and they'll know by the the top red buttons are see-through leaf buttons, and the bottom were, I think, red, blue, and green microswitch buttons, and they'll mm. know what it, they'll probably know because someone probably told them I once owned it. And I'd like to know where it is and if they're still getting on with it. Okay, mm, they get that. Yeah, really nice machines, electrical guys. If I had if I had infinite room, I'd have a bunch of them just with different games in. Oh, infinite room, wouldn't that be brilliant? Ooh, wouldn't it? Mm. Ooh, wouldn't it? You need a TARDIS, sir. I do. Right. Let's have a bit of a break. A, a, a sort of break, in inverted commas, while we put some music in. And this is, sir... This get this is... The music's called Aliesta, Aliesta, from a Konami 1993 game called Gayopolis. Okay. I don't, I'm not, I don't recall that one. I don't. And I, you know when you sort of go down a main rabbit hole, you start flicking yeah, from yeah. game to game. And I found this game, and there's a load of good music on it, which I've listened to actually. I found a YouTube playlist, and I listened to all of it. Ooh. So I have 35 tracks in, wow. this, in this game. And it's a bit like, I'd say it's a bit like Golden Axe meets the Dungeons & Dragons game, but it scrolls up and down, left to right. Oh, that sounds quite cool. I thought it was a shooter for some reason. No. Before we put the music in, I've actually had a thought. For people who use Apple Music or one of those streaming music services, the one I use anyway, when you listen to an album, say you listen to something like, oh, I don't know, some indie music or whatever, and mm. you listen to the album, and if you scroll onto the bottom, it says, if you like this, you'll like these also, and it's similar bands. Mm. Wouldn't it be cool if someone did that in MAME, saying, if you like Golden Axe, you'd like you know, Shadow of Mysteria and this game and Gaiopolis, and you know, if you like Nemesis, you'll like you know, Nemesis 2 and Scramble and all those kind of games. How cool would that be? There is something like it. Isn't you know, really? in the yeah, in the MAME info at the bottom. Yeah. But actually, there's two. There's MAME info, and what's the other one? There's two that you can put together. Two text files that you put together. Oh, and history. They, that's it, history. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they join together. And at the bottom, there is similar games. Oh, right, cool. But oh, sometimes sometimes it's similar games by hardware or oh, yeah. by, by like genre, so like fantasy. Yeah. N- not, not actually similar style like beat him up or yeah, shoot him yeah. up but but it is a help it does help because i found a lot of games just by looking through mame and stuff that are similar to games i like and i really get into mm. them but if i'd known years ago i'd have played them years ago so yeah, that'd be cool mm. Gaiopolis looks looks a good game
game review sir let's play some jungle it's not jungle you burke it's jungler oh yeah yeah okay then welcome to jungler not jungle axel jungler two rubbish jokes in one go (laughs) i'm selling myself tonight right before we begin I'm probably going to have to steal another sample from our mates over at the Pie Factory Podcast HQ. Although I do have audio permission this time. And here it is. So apparently Vert Vic Viper wanted to uh, ask permission to use our little Watch Out for Snakes drop-ins. Watch out for snakes! What do you feel about that, Jimmy G? We should be watching out for snakes. We should be, shouldn't we? We should. Alright, so um, I guess on behalf of Pie Factory Podcast... And I'm uh, on behalf of Pie Factory Podcast. And uh, so I guess on a whole of Pie Factory Podcast, because let's face it, our podcast uh, is indeed quite the whole, isn't it? But uh, More so, than you would ever want to know. So, coming from uh, Video Games Summit 2016 in Villa Park, Illinois, uh, we do hereby give uh, Vic Viper and Sean Holly of 10 Pence Arcade... Uh, permission to use the little watch out for snakes drop in that we that we don't own that we don't own at all. Yeah, that's yes. right. We actually stole it ourselves but, from a uh, movie that is in the public domain, I believe. So yeah. So uh, I remember, if your podcast has a Sean, it's a quality podcast. That is so right. So uh, back to you, uh, Sean and uh, Vic Viper. Watch out for snakes. So we can continue. Hmm? Watch out for snakes. <laughs> This game Watch out for snakes. is called Jungler by Konami 1981, distributed by Stern in 1982. It is. It's very early 82, weren't it? Jungler is on Konami Tactician hardware and runs on a Z80 at 3 megahertz and has another Z80 of the sound and two of them lovely Yamaha AY8910s for the rest of the yeah, sound. Yeah, the Z80 for the sound and then two AYs. The sound's really basic, isn't it? Yeah. It's a bit of an overkill, that one. GX327 is the Konami PCB code for this game. I think all Konami games have got a GX code on them, so you can tell mm. what game it is, and you can identify them. And I've I've put a link in the show notes, so you can go onto this page. It's on Mike's Arcade, which is a really cool site. And if you've got a, a Konami game and you want to know what it is, without having to plug it in or make a test harness for it, you can just have a look on here. Mm. So the gameplay... Jungler is a vertical screen game for one or two players, alternate play. You drive a snake-like creature around a static screened maze. Watch out for snakes! Other snakes are in the same maze. Watch out for snakes! Trying to kill you off. It's snakey kill or be killed. Mm -hmm. Your snake is coloured white and the evil snakes start off as red. 
When you shoot their tails, they turn yellow, then green. This game is all about length. Mm-hmm. Red snakes are longer than you. Yellow snakes are the same length as you, and green snakes are shorter than you. If you run head-on into, head into a red snake, it will eat you and you will lose a life. Ooh. If you run into a yellow or a green snake, you'll eat them. Yeah. To reduce a snake to a more manageable size, you must shoot off its tail segments. Shoot all of these, and then its head, you get a 500-point bonus. Mm. But as the snakes get smaller, you included, they get faster, because they also shoot at you as well. Mm. They get faster. The enemies can always shoot you. Remember that. Periodically, a fruit will appear. And if you nosh it, you get a piece of tail segment back to make you grow, plus 500 points. If by eating this fruit, you grow larger than any red snakes on the screen, they will all turn green immediately. Mm. And it's all about how long your snake is. (laughs) There are purple traps on the screen, which get the enemy snakes stuck. Quickly get to them before they kill themselves off. And fire away their tail until there are no more. Easy kill, and you get the 500-point bonus for it. Plus all the little bonus points for the segments. You can just turn around, but try not to get near it, as it's easier for a a sneaky snake to sneak up on you. Sneaky, sneaky snake. Say that with a mouthful of porridge. Mm. Enemy snakes. Well, I've thought this. Enemy snakes seem to move completely randomly. They neither chase you nor run away from you. But I, um, I think they kind of... Home in on your general location. Yeah. In fact, I know they do. Watch out for snakes. From going on to the later levels. Oh, the grid levels on eight, eight, eight and nine. Mm. Yeah, they do it on sixteen and seventeen as well. On the later you levels. Are. Yeah, they do it on the later levels. You haven't got to sixteen. Mm. <laughs> Would you consider this some sort of jungler boogie? Jungle boogie. Sorry, really sorry about the samples. <laughs> do you know what I was thinking we could do? What's that? You know, it, the lion sleeps tonight in the jungle, the mighty jungle. We could sing it. You could sing it. Mm-hmm. I could edit it out. No, I won't bother then. <laughs> it's ruined it. Ruined it. Enemy snakes can shoot any part of your snake to reduce it, not just the tail. Yes. Watch out for snakes. That is partly true, I think. Sometimes, it's a bit weird, sometimes the bullets go through you. Yeah, they go, you can do that to them as well. Sometimes when they turn a corner, your bullets go through them and hit their tail and then it knocks one off their length. Mm. I think it's like a collision thing, but you can do it. Mm. Right, the play tips and secrets, it's a very simple game, but when I found out it's not about just shooting things, it's about the length, that's Mm. when I got into it a bit better. Mm. So, the main thing is stay as long as possible so you're longer than the other snakes so they can't eat you when they run into you. Yeah. And you can eat them quickly and get rid of the levels quick. Mm-hmm. Keep eating the fruit bonuses to make your snake longer and longer every time. Yeah, if, and if you don't shoot anything and hang around for too long, they, the snakes will speed up on their own regardless of the length of them. Ah, right, okay. Because normally when they get shorter, they get faster, but they just get faster if you wait too long. Yeah, and ah, they just okay. speed up and up and up, and then they're too, too fast to dodge, really. Yeah, they're hard. The maximum snake length is the head and the tail, and then seven middle segments. They never get bigger than that. Okay. And then when you complete a level, they go back to six middle segments. Mm. So what I would do is home in on a stupid stuck snake and kill his ass. Ass first. Mm. Mm. Avoid red snakes like the plague. Can I have a go? Watch out for snakes. Mm. Be very careful when going to eat a yellow snake. If you take a hit and become smaller, it'll quickly turn back red and eat you. Mm. When the enemy snakes and your own character has no tail and it's just a roaming head, they are at their fastest. Also quite difficult to manoeuvre yourself. If you shoot the heads, 
you get a 500 point bonus for them. When you lose your last life and you have some of those little tail things left, the yeah. little characters just above the top left of the maze, yeah. you get another life, but your snake only has one or two segments. I think you get one of them little tail segments every time you complete a level without losing a life. Ah, that makes sense. I, I thought it was just every level, but yeah, you don't get them for every one. Otherwise, my snake would be massive by the time I finished all them levels. So you, so I think it sort of halves the number. Of, so if you've got four of those little tail symbols at the top and you lose your last guy, mm-hmm. you respawn and you've got two middle segments. I think it halves it. I was just about to say, some of our code monkeys are Sea Monkey and Hooray Banana, people like that on UK VAC, could probably go into the code and find out what the algorithm is about. Mm. And it also reminded me, just before we go on, an extra shout-out to Hooray Banana, Eric, mm. and Sea Monkey, Adrian, who've been into the code on track and field and worked out all yeah. the scoring algorithms. I think it's, Ooh, it's mainly Sea Monkey, but Hooray Banana's that kind of guy as well. So thank you to those guys for looking into that for us. Cheers. Excellent. Right, there's a bit more guessing here because there's so little information about this. Mm. There's there's definitely an extra life at 20,000. Yep. And I think you get another one at 70. Yeah, and every 70 after that. Do you? Yeah. Right, you're worrying me now because you sound like you've got a high score. <laughs> Just below the credits display is a number of snakes left to spawn a counter. So it starts off at 8. It's so always 8 and then goes down. But I think... Yeah, it starts off at eight, but three snakes start on the screen. So is that you've got to kill eleven snakes per screen? It's probably right. It goes up after a while, yeah. Uh, right, right. And you can shoot the snakes' bullets. You can, yeah. Mm, that's easy enough, but they're quite mm-hmm. quick sometimes. Mm. Well, the graphics and sound of this game very simple, nineteen eighty one fare, aren't they? Mm, yeah, yeah. Very sim- It's very similar looking to Pulsar, which we did a while back. Probably because of the very limited color palette and similar hardware, perhaps. Mm, yeah. Bland sound effects, very bland, especially with this sound hardware. I, I can't understand that. I bet it sounds good mm. on the original cab, though, because the bass speaker. But there's a droning sound, and that annoys me. Yeah, I, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your droning sound annoys me. Well, that one, or just in general. <laughs> right, I'm going to do the scores. So the world record yeah. was in May 1983, so soon after the game came out, really, Joe Starts set the Jungler world record with a high score of 180,720. <laughs> right, I've had a few players, and I'm going to do the scores, and you have to stop me when I get to your score. Okay. Hopefully it won't be too far up. Mm. <laughs> right, Andrew Driver, thank you for playing. 9,460. Yep. Stulek, 13,340. Thank you for playing. Giggity. Giggity. 13,780. John, Battlezone Key, 18460. Ian Cullen, who says this is a bag of arse. <laughs> oh, he didn't like it. Oh, he dear. didn't like it. He got 19920. He had a go, though. Yeah. Sammy Key, which is son of John, Battlezone Key. Oh, nice. 21,360. Well played. Father and son playing together on arcades. Oh, Excellent. yeah. Nice. I tried to get my son playing, but he's playing something called Subnautica at the minute. Swimming no. along the. Swimming along the bottom of the sea, shooting fish, writing fins. No. Paul McCaskey, 24,080. Yep. Lucid Sprite Mare, 31,440. Mm-hmm. You sure you're not going to put your score in yet? No. Right? no. Oh, oh, pants. Mr. Tronads has had one quick go, 36,340. Thank you for playing. Mr. Madsty, 42,420. Mm-hmm. Charlie Farr's had a couple of goes. 
he didn't really like this one. He said 62 220, still a damn good score. Mark K, yes, he has done well on this, hasn't he? Yeah, beat Charlie 60, for that's a good thing to 62, do. 62,600. And you might want to put your score in now, Vic. No. Oh, my word. In second place, as I know of, <laughs> me and me and Neil 1637 have been having a battle for the last two weeks. Battle of the jungler. 71,360. Well played, Neil. They're not bad. Right. I, according to this list, I am first. Um, are you above this score? Mm-hmm. My score, 81,120, which is first on this list. You tried, we, didn't you? We still haven't heard from Mr. Marlon. Right, my score, three. Yeah. Eight. Yeah. Six. Yeah. Four. Yeah. Zero. Yeah. And that's it, I was lying. Oh! 38,640. <laughs> Do you know what? I've been so busy, I've only had about six yeah. goes of it. I've been so oh. busy during the week, which we will discuss later on in life why I'm so busy, but also with the 3D printer messing around with that and stuff and other things going on, I haven't had time to play it. I really oh, wanted I... to play it more, but I, I... Do you know what? I think I was better at a kid, as a kid playing this. I used to play this for ages as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, and also, let's go down to the cabinet art which we've got in front of us here, which we'll put on the website. The Jungler Cab is a nice-looking cabinet. It looks exactly like a scramble. It's a stern cab. It yeah. was released in, in America by Stern, or distributed by Stern. And it's a blue cabinet, a really nice-looking blue cabinet. It's got a really big marquee, just like all the Stern games, like Berserk and Scramble and Frenzy and all that lot. Really nice jungler with a sort of weird centipede, snaky-looking thing, a real ugly-looking thing around it. And the words are really cool, the letters are really cool. And it's got a really nice marquee around the game with all these weird-looking centipede, snaky things. Quite a nice-looking stripey control panel with a button either side. Mm-hmm. And... It looks a really nice game, but also on the flyer, which we've put on the website as well, it's got a really weird-looking level. Is that level 8 and 9 without the sort of maze? It's sort of like an open level. It's a grid, yeah. It's a just grid. A, a grid of squares. Oh, I didn't get that far, obviously. I think I got to level 6 or something. You have to, When you get to that level, you have to change your tactics. You basically run off because they because there's no real hiding place because they go through the they can weave through the maze quicker yeah. than you can almost so what i was doing i was going from corner to corner and as they as they approached me this is how i knew the movements weren't totally random they sort of home in on you oh. you move down to another corner and eventually they get, they get stuck on one of the traps oh yeah yeah they're pretty stupid aren't they when you get stuck on the traps. yeah zoom up try and shoot as much as possible eventually they all die and you survive two of those levels and get back Ah, to the so it's more of a survival levels. level, that one, then. It is, really, and oh, that's okay. that's how I managed. I got an extra, like, 10,000 on my score after I got past that level. Oh, nice one. The artwork for the German cab was different, and art on the French flyer was different again. So maybe they're cab a different side art? Mm. It's worth looking at the flyers on the website. They are quite interesting, different different versions. I, quite, I think I quite like the French one. Yeah. It's a weird-looking cab, yeah. Mm. Trivia. My wife doesn't think much of this game. <laughs> That's the trivia. She gave it a... <laughs> <laughs> That's all the trivia we have, folks. Oh, actually, port sequels and legacy, right? There was no sequels, and I don't think... It might have been on the Astrocade, or mm. one of those really odd consoles. I can't remember which one it was, but it was on one of the really obscure ones. It was on the Emerson Arcadia and the Tomy Tutor. And also released a really smart VFD game by Gacken. Mm-hmm. And I found a picture of this. It's a lovely looking machine with a little lid on it and you close down. It looks really cool. With a lot of those old VFD games, the joysticks on the right and the buttons on the left, which yeah. is sort of swapped from traditionally way around doing it. 
Weird, isn't it? Nice looking machine, though. So you got some ideas on overall thoughts and improvements. Tell me about those, young man. Well, I thought, I thought, yeah, basic graphics. Very basic, weren't they? Not so keen on the sound. Mm. Needs a bit of variety. Needs like a bonus stage or a challenge stage or something. Yeah, that'd be a good idea, actually. But I thought I gave this like half an hour, and I, I thought I don't like this at all. And I started playing Nibbler. Oh yeah, the, the other snaky game. Similar but faster. Nibbler is. Mm, but I went back to this, and I started really enjoying it because there's kind of tactics you can. You have to get behind the snakes to shoot the tail off, yeah. and you can. There's places you can kind of wait, and then fifty percent of the time they're going to go past you, and you can sneak out behind them. And the other fifty percent, you've got to move quick because they're going to eat you. Yeah, I found it quite difficult finding getting to the, the really small quick snakes. But when you get mm. them down a long corridor, your but your bullets fire quicker than them, even at the fastest speed. So you will always mm. get them eventually. But it's hard work to stand at the way of the red ones. Well, I was just trying. I was just getting getting those when I could, shooting them when I could. But I was aiming really to clear the screens as quick as possible before they sped up. Yeah, I did as well. I tried to do the game quickly, mm. but I just and didn't have enough goes of it. I'd like I might have to continue playing it actually. And also, it's also beneficial to hang around near the traps. So when they do get trapped, you've got enough time to shoot them and get all the points. Yeah, because if you don't get to them quick enough, they blow up, they explode, don't they? Because they're too stupid mm. to come back out of the traps. And if you've got like a longer snake, if you you know move backwards and forwards quickly, you like fold in on yourself, mm. so you're a much smaller target to the other snakes. Oh yeah, I suppose yeah. Mm. You also said about the high score table. Yeah, it's the high score table is like a snake going down the right hand side of the screen. It's very quick and easy to select your three letter input. Oh, I only put three letters, but, but no rub outs. Uh, so if you get a letter wrong, yeah, my high score was whack. Not back. <laughs> I'll see what would really improve this game, actually. Two-player yeah. mode. Mm. That'd be cool playing against each other as well as... Because if, you, if, you, if they made this, the graphics slightly smaller, so you can get more, more maze on the screen and enemies, I think mm. I'd play a really good game. Two-player. They could have had different graphics as well. They could have kept the game the same. Yeah. And dif- just a bit more variety. But saying that, I did... Really enjoyed this. I really well, on the did. On later it. levels, well, you could have different coloured snakes which have different properties. Where yeah. maybe you had a different colour one, you need two hits to hit a to get rid of a segment, or maybe the snakes could eat fruits themselves before you got them mm. to increase their length. Or maybe there was poison fruits which lost a level. There was loads of things they could have popped in there, but it seems very basic, doesn't it? It does. I think they could have did. It could have done a lot more with it. Yeah, it was nineteen eighty one though. Remember. Mm. As it stands, I enjoyed it. The more I played it, the more I kind of enjoyed it, and it did help with the competition mm. with um, Neil 1637. And I like the it's... fact that I trolled you on it and got you all worried. <laughs> He's a good gamer, and you did troll me, yes. Mm. 36,000. Yeah, I just didn't have enough time. To... 38,000. 38. I just didn't have enough time to play it, mate. I really wanted to. I just did not have enough time. And mm. in the UK, we've had a bit of a heat wave this week. It's been so hot. Yeah. Well, I've been at work, and I've been working really hard lately, which is unfortunate because I've had a lot to concentrate on. I'm just drained at the end of the day. Mm. No excuse for not playing arcade games, but that's how it is, I'm afraid. Yep. Right, that's that one done. I would say, before we go, I would say it's a thumbs up from me, that game. Yeah, and me. Oh. I've always liked it since I was a kid. It's very simple. Um, yeah, good game. I missed it. I completely missed it. And if I did see it, I maybe would have put 20, 30 pence in and then thought, crap this. Yeah. And it took took me at least 
hour and a half, two hours play before I started thinking, hang on a minute, this is not bad. Yeah, it's a pretty good game, isn't it? It was mm. one of the games I played as a small child. It was always mm. in the arcades. When I went on holiday to places and fairs and stuff, you, used to, you always used to see it, and Pulsar was always there as well. And, you know, it's one of those sort of early simple games I quite liked. Mm. It's good. Right then, let's go on to some cabs you never knew existed. It's one of yours. This is from Galloping Ghost. A couple of weeks ago, they announced their 532nd game. And it's a game called Two Tigers. Never heard of it. How many tigers? Just two of them. Not one, but not one, not three, but two. It's from Bally Midway, and it's kind of a... after they did Tron, mm-hmm. and it was available as a dedicated cab and also as a conversion for Tron. Yeah, it used the same hardware as Tron, I think. Mm. Okay. So I don't know how many were converted, but I would I would guess that Tron's the better game. Mm-hmm. But I found two videos of it after that. on the uh, Well, there's the Galloping Ghost Twitch stream that you can still watch on their Twitch channel when they're unveiling it and playing it. Oh, brilliant. And there's also the Todd Tucky TNT Amusements when he's, he's showing you the, the, how the yokes work and everything. There's two flight yokes on the front of the two cab of at, at different angles. Yeah, we'll put a picture on. I like Todd Tucky. He's as mad as a windsock. <laughs> he is, isn't he? He's really good. A windsock's mad. Oh, they're pretty mad. You see them blowing around. Oh, yeah, they are. Especially them, them ones that look like stick men with the big arms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Usually outside car dealerships. Yeah, they're kind of freaky. Everyone loves them. No one would buy a car off them dudes. They can't even speak. Two tigers. Anyway, yeah, two tigers. It's kind of like a bike. You know the old biplane games where you where you sort of you've um, move the stick and you rotate. Yes. And you fly around the screen. It's kind of like that, but you're bombing a battleship at the bottom of the screen, and you've got to destroy the battleship before it clears off. You have sunk my battleship. Excellent. The marquee's really nice, actually, on this. Nice one. It's just a very strange game that I never knew existed. So, in the future, for doing this segment, don't bother looking <laughs> on the internet. Just go to Galloping Ghost and just say, "What games have you got? We never. Oh, we've got loads of them, and just yeah. choose one of them." One hundred and eight. Yeah, probably. Yeah. So, thanks to Galloping Ghost for having it, so we can know about it. Mm. Super hardware heroes now. Yes. This is your one as well. This is another joystick. Okay. It's not a PCB. It's a joystick this time. I'm not sure exactly what they're called, but you know what I mean. Dial sticks. So you've got the stick, yeah. and on the top of the stick, you've got a little clicky knob, that, like an uh, mm-hmm. octagonal knob. Yes, eight-way um, eight octagonal knob. And when you, as you turn it, it, it clicks a switch underneath the joystick. Mm. I've actually refurbished one of these for someone before that got damaged, and it's quite interesting how it works. Oh, yeah, go on, tell me, because I don't know. I'll try and sort of explain it best I can on, on, on radio. It's, <laughs> it's got a sort of foot on the bottom of the stick. You, how a stick works, it's got a pivot point in the middle, and you have the, the four microswitches around it. So as you move the stick, it pivots with a spring and hits mm. the microswitches. And if you hit two together, it creates a diagonal. And underneath that, it's got some arms that stop the thing from spinning round. Because normally a joystick mm. ball will just spin. And this thing, you yeah. don't want to spin. You want it to click when you turn the knob at the top. Mm. And underneath the bottom of the joystick is the actual 
it's like a sort of potentiometer, but it's it's clicky and it clicks different parts of, of the switch to give you the eight ways. And on games such as Ikari Warriors and Heavy Barrel, Midnight Resistance and Search and Rescue, it controlled the, the, the angle your guy was looking at. And Sheriff has also got the same kind of thing. But that was done mm. on a dial rather than a joystick. So you're moving the joystick up, down, left, right to move your character around, but then you turn it around and press the fire button to shoot in different directions. It's mm, really it's a very, clever it works. Yeah, it's a very clever idea, and I think it added a lot to the gameplay of these games. The ones I've seen are usually yellow, and they've got SNK on the top. Obviously mm-hmm. developed for Vicari Warriors, which was one of the first games in 1986. Mm, Data East did a few as well. Yeah, I was just having a bit of research on it today, and there's actually a vertical shooter, I think, from Data East with one of these sticks as well, oh, and really? it control, controls a turret on top of your ship. <laughs> oh, I see. I suppose so. Some tank games use the same kind of thing for a turret, I suppose. Yeah, I've, I've not but, really got into the games this because I never really saw many games in the arcades. It, it sort of didn't appeal to me really. But I must have a go of a few. They sound quite fun. Midnight Resistance is supposed to be a really good one. Yeah, the one I have a soft spot for is Search and Rescue, one of the more obscure ones. And it's because it was in a pub in the, must have been late 80s, early 90s. And me and my mate actually finished it in the end. Oh, wow. Playing two players. Um, and we got very good at it. Where I, like, I was running back, I was running forward, shooting backwards, and he was in front of me running forwards. And I think it was, I think it was a bit like. Alien syndrome, where you've got where you're oh, on a big, cool. yeah. I think there are a lot of alien things, and it. it's been a long time since I've seen it, but I really enjoyed that, and we finished it. Do you know what? Alien syndrome could have done with them and enjoy. So that probably improved the game. I think. Mm. I like alien syndrome a lot, but sometimes you've got to stop to turn and fire. Whereas on yeah. this, you could actually almost like a two a twin stick game, but with mm. one sticking in the button, and you could actually turn around and, and shoot things. That'd be quite good. But it's, it takes a lot of hand eye skill to do that. And I don't yeah. think I'd be that good at it. I must have a try, though. Next time I see a game at a show that's got a, a, rotor, a rotary joystick, they call them, a rotary joystick. Ah, right. I'll have yeah. a go. Mm. So I know Muddy Music made a small, a small Dino King into a Midnight Resistance game. Mm. It was at the we last revival. That. Maybe in the ne- well, next week. That'd be good. Mm. That'd be interesting. Cool. Yeah, yeah that's so a good one, that. It's a cool bit of engineering, though, I think. Yeah, when you look at the actual stick, they're really well made, and they're quite pricey to buy. They're about 40 to £50 pounds to buy in the UK. Right. There's quite a lot in them, though. Mm. Right, the next show's game. Can you tell us about next show's game? Yes, we have contacted Neil 20 to 5 because he's been such a good, such a very nice listener. Oh, he's written lovely that. man. Lovely Nerg writer, which was awesome. So I said, pick a game, and we both kind of knew what you were going to pick. The list. Now, picks. A snake talks. Jungler snake talks. Is, yeah. One last time. Watch out for snakes. In the jungle, the mighty jungle. He's picked, well, he did say Burger Time or, hun- or Hunchback. So we've gone for Hunchback. Yeah. Bonus life at 10,000, three lives, default settings. Okay. Now, what he's actually said to me about Hunchback is. Yeah, he added this later on. I had it on my phone, a message earlier on my phone. If you go into the dip settings and change the colour scheme to version 2, most of the slowdown is eliminated. Oh, that's good. There's the slowdown where the guy jumps on the ropes. Noticeable slowdown in it when there's any ropes on the screen. Yeah. And also so, some other bits. What we'll do, I was talking to Vip about this earlier, and he did mention a good point. He said that sometimes when we say certain things about arcade machines and games, especially play on MAME or whatever, some people might not, might not know quite what we're speaking about. 
And when we talk about the dip switch settings, on an arcade PCB, an original circuit board, it would have had a little these little tiny switches, normally numbered 1 to 8. And you mm. move the switches up, and you usually have a chart in the manual to what they do. So, for instance, switch 1 being in the on position would give you three lives, whereas switch 2 would give you four lives. And then maybe mm. switch 5 and 6 on will give you an extra life at 20,000. So yeah. what we talk about when we do our games, if you've got the PCB actually change the switch settings to what we say. You can look in the manuals, whatever, there's online manuals. But in MAME, the emulator, if you press tab when you're playing the game, you get another menu up, and there's a, there's a, a section there called dip switch settings. You go into there and change the settings to what we tell you, which are also going to be printed on the website at the bottom, and that's the settings we're going to be using. So number of lives, usually, extra life at a certain score, maybe, and just mm. other things, like, you know, difficulty set. All sorts of settings to make everything an even playing field. That's what we talk about when we say dip switch settings. Mm. So, yeah, I don't, I've tried to find this, change the color scheme to version two, and I can't find it in my MAME. It'd be in there somewhere. Okay, maybe but... it's a different version, but what we will do is we mm. will put the information on the website. So, if you want to play the game with us, please do have a look on the website and we'll sort out the level. If we can't find that, we'll sort out a level where all of us can play on us, even keel. Okay. Well, yeah. If, if you just you can put it if you can put it with a slowdown, which may be actually helpful when the the uh, bullets start flying, not the bullets, the arrows mm, and fireballs. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Go for it. Hunchy back from so, century century nineteen eighty three. Before we go, catch us next week at Revival Super Solstice Warsaw. Yes. Next we'll Saturday and Sunday, I'll be there Saturday, but probably won't be there Sunday morning. Maybe because I've got to go up to see Vip. Oh, and you're doing a fantasy cabalist change. What are you doing? Well, I'm taking out Rygar, God bless his soul. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah. And I'm putting in Gyrus, the Monroe stick version. If people don't know what we're talking about here as well, on the website at the very bottom, we've got a fantasy cab list, each of us. It's actually in the About section. And if we were given the space and the cabinets for 10 cabinets of our favourites, what would we have in there? And this is our sort of fantasy cab list. I've actually got a few on mine. And you haven't mm. on yours. And you've just taken out Rygar, which is a previous favourite of yours, which you mm. really liked as a kid, and you pop in in Gyrus. Gyrus. Out with the old, in with the old. <laughs> not not any Gyrus. The, the Gyrus one. at Arcade Club. So when they're closed later on tonight, I'm going in with a sack truck and I'm nicking it. Stealing it. Oh, yeah. Right. Thanks for listening and goodbye. But before you go, don't switch off your MP3 player yet. Have a listen to me. Talking to John Studley about track and field. Thanks for listening. Yes, thanks for listening, kids, and goodbye. On your mark, get set. We have a guest on with us, and it's going to be Mr. John Studley. How are you, John? I'm great, thanks, Vic. Excellent. I'm, I'm back again. You're back again for another round. Ding, ding. Yeah, it must be popular. You are, mate, definitely. But not that popular. I didn't see you at Nerg, which is unfortunate. Yeah, of course. Um, well, I'm at um, The Revival. Oh, excellent. I will go into that next week. No, week after next, isn't it? Week after next, yeah. Brilliant. I've got to limit the amount of um, meetings I go to, so, so it's just so the, the, the wife lets me anyway. Absolutely. First things first, mate. First things first. Absolutely. Right, we're going to be talking about a game called Track and Field, otherwise known as 
Hyper Arinku. Arimpic. Hyper Arimpic. Yeah. Now, Track and Field is also a game that holds quite dear to my heart. I used to play this at lunchtimes at school, mm. uh, at a lunchtime break, in a thing where we used to call Palace Youth Club. A yeah. friend of mine was a really quick runner, and I was the jumping guy. We used to play with four people around this machine, two, two on each side. Mm-hmm. And it's, everyone should know Track and Field, it's a Konami game from about 1984, 83? 83. And yeah. it's a game where you hammer the heck out of the buttons and jump in different events. Yeah. And I think my favourite event, oh, I don't know, there's quite a few, wasn't there? Can you go through the events with us? Okay, 100 metres. Yep. Then you've got the long jump. Mm-hmm. Then you've got the javelin. That's right. Um, sorry, 110 metre hurdles. That's right, oh, the javelin. Javelin, 110 metre hurdles. Then you've got the hammer and finally the high jump. Excellent. And usually, on certain settings, that usually loops after then, doesn't it? And you can go round and round. So we used to play it all lunchtime for an hour. No yes. Fun. I think even the um, the default settings um, were always, you know, based on once you finish the first um, the first of, um, champion of the first round. So yeah. they, they had, you know, infinite rounds type of thing. Yeah, yeah. As soon, so- as, as, soon as guys started playing forever that you could actually alter the dip switches which just allowed you then to just play one round which is really the accepted standard if you're going to go for a record yeah so the track field world record that are current on arcade or twin galaxies mm. will you are you now going for an, an official attempt soon well it's the thing is with the world record on track and field um first you've got to have your own cab that's for sure mm. of course um and the world record is just over 95,000, I think it is. Um, yeah. doesn't sound that high, does it? It doesn't sound that high, but the, the thing is with track and field, once you get to um, around about 88,000 plus, mm-hmm. every thousand it obviously is really important, but every point's important because when you yeah. when you break down the world record score, because um, I know when and Hector uploaded his, I mean, he was going for that for a long, long time because the previous record was, I think he beat it by 300 points, and that record wow. stood over 20 years, yeah. um, which was Kelly, I can't pronounce his surname, but it was a, an American guy, but um, they used a, a multi-finger technique. Uh, oh. But like I was saying, this, you know, the, the difference in the points um, from 90,000, as you get higher and higher from that, is extremely difficult. And what they typically did was, it, it's a game that you've, first you've got to have your own cab, of course. Mm-hmm. Then you really have to style the cab um what I mean by that is the buttons that need to be um, to be altered for your technique. Yeah, I see. So, what are the the actual settings for the Twin Galaxies Marathon one? Yeah, the marathon is purely just um, based on you just got a, a life, an extra life every hundred thousand points. Oh, I see. Yeah. So, so there's not really, even though um, I think the world record now is twenty, just up short of thirty million. Oh my goodness! How long did that take? I think it took. It's again. It's Hector Rodriguez. He, you know, he owns track and field type of thing at the moment. Yeah. Um, it took the best part of I think it was thirty three or thirty four hours. Oh my! His fingers must have been in tatters by the time he finished. Because the method, if anyone doesn't know about track and field, the method is you you hit the two run buttons as quickly as possible, and you've got a jump button. Yeah. And on a lot of the the events, it's just running like the hundred and ten meter hurdles. It's running just with a really quick jump to jump the hurdles, and then. The, the, the running race is just running as fast as you can. 
Yeah. So you you press. There's different techniques as you as you said. Some people just use one button. Some use two buttons. Some use different fingers on the buttons and stuff. So so what sort of technique does he use? Are you speaking about? Yeah, he uses a, a what's called it like a multi finger technique where you just use the one button. Yeah. I think the thing is with track and field, it, it was always a what was called a button basher because yeah. you had to alternate from one um, run yeah. button to the other. Mm-hmm. Now, what happens with with track and field is if you press both run buttons at the same time, yeah, one button cancels out the other, and you don't move. So you have to have a perfect uh, sort of patter against it, like a drum roll sort of uh, thing. Absolutely, it has to alternate. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, without me jumping the gun as far as your questions are concerned, and we'll probably come to you know because we're talking about different techniques now. Yeah. There's a guy now who's um, who's actually beat on video um, Hector's world record score and he's beat it several times Wow! now when he does this I mean it's available on YouTube so um, the the listeners can, can watch it as well Yeah. there's been a lot of um, controversy about it because he put up scores um, well he mentioned that he was getting scores in excess of the world record mm-hmm. um, and he wasn't using a single button multi-finger technique he was actually tapping both buttons at the same time right okay so it was really contentious. This was a few years back. Yeah, um, that's the thing that happens with Twin Galaxies. Unless the rules are exactly laid down and people follow them to the letter, especially with popular games, that's yeah. when a lot of arguments come into it. And the thing is, as, as far as his technique was concerned, and I've watched it on, on YouTube as well, everyone's got their own cap. And like I said before, everyone uh, you know, adjusts the buttons or the springs and the, the, the speed of the springs rebound to suit yeah. the style. Mm-hmm. Now, if you you either play in public on a public machine and you have no input in the way that game is set up, it's not like playing Defender or Pac-Man or another game where you can alter the uh, the leaf springs. So, yeah. just slightly so that it, it suits the way that you corner, for example. Yeah. On track and field, the spring, the buttons, people never use the same buttons. They'll get a button and they'll almost customize the button to suit themselves. Yeah. There's no real rules on Twin Galaxies. The, the, the Twin Galaxy settings basically says that you have the dip switches on this setting. Yeah. You have a track and field board, and you get on with it. It's not, you know, they don't look into detail. And they say we're going to come around and check the machine and check that the buttons are correct and yeah. everything else. It's it's really down to, and it's the same with the peer review system on track on um, Twin Galaxies now that, you know, when you um, send in a, a submission for a world record. This seems to me to be a um, a level of um, the way they inspect the record. So, say for example, you it was a game that you've not really heard of. Of course, they want to see a video, but there doesn't seem to be the same amount of scrutiny as there would be for the likes of Donkey Kong. So yeah. If you came along and said, "Well, I'm just beat Dean Saglio or um, whoever's now at the Donkey Kong World Record," um, if you come along and say, "Well, I've just beat it." People are going to want to see absolutely everything. They want to see your board. You know, it's it goes back to the King of Kong. Yeah, well, definitely. Bill was playing Steve, and you know, it got so contentious that you know the gummy substances and all the rest of it. <laughs> yeah. It seems to me that it depends on the popularity of the game. I mean, we know track and field is really popular, but I think if someone's going to submit a um, a new world record on track and field, it's got to be scrutinised. Um, and yeah. going going back to what we were saying about the different techniques. I don't know the game, the name of this the new guy, but um, his technique is he, he just basically if you watch him on on YouTube, he just basically looks like he's tapping the buttons either side, left and right, 
Yeah. And he gets 1500 speed nearly. Wow. And with, that's that's how people play the game with the two buttons and the jump button. That's how the, the machine was set up, I suppose. Yeah, and before that, you know, this this new guy came along, it was always accepted that there's only one way um, to get, you know, these very fast speeds on track yeah. and that was to use a single button with multi-finger technique. So yes. it remains to be seen whether or not, you know, he's unofficially beat the world record, but it's not shown on Twin Galaxies. And mm-hmm. I, I think, but I've not been on the forums um, for quite a while, but I think it's the type of record that if he's going to um, submit this type of score with the technique that he, he's using, he's going to have to do it in a public forum. I think that's the way to do it. Mm. So what, what settings are we talking about when, when you're going to do this for, your, for the record you want to go for? It's purely a one-round record, so um, you obviously you're going to have to start from the 100 metres. The, the, I mean, the likes of um, um, the, the guys who got the, who've gone for world records, they, they know basically the scores that need they need for individual events. So for the 100 metres, for argument's sake, they know they need 14,000 points, which equates, equates to a certain time. So yeah. say for argument's sake, 15,000 points is 7.64 seconds. Yeah. you'll typically write that down next to you, the, the cab or you'll have it near the cab. Uh-huh. And your your own personal best will equate to um, a, a certain score for a certain event. Yeah. So whether it be the 100 metres, the long jump, the javelin, you'll know um, that there'll be certain scores that you need to aim for for each event. So in effect, to go for the world record on track and field, you've got to get your personal best on each event and that all events will be obviously put together and then your cumulative score will equal whatever you you end up when you finish the high jump we're talking perfect again aren't we absolutely and it's you know there's there's no in between and you're talking literally hundreds and hundreds of games that you have to record so you have to have your own cab your camera's got to go every single time because you know one round track and field is typically less than five minutes yeah at uh, least it's not uh, six hours like your pre- previous record yeah it's uh, you know it's, it, and it, it becomes a game that you can play forever. It's just a you know an endurance um, event then. Um, so one round is always always the way to go. And you know, the sooner I get a you know a decent cab, and then I can have the buttons. And the buttons I would use it, and I think everyone uses um, leaf springs. Yeah, because they're quicker, aren't they? Yeah, well, typically they always will be leaf springs. I'm not sure what what this new guy uses, um, but you can you can see his his gameplay on YouTube anyway. I think if you put in like track and field world record, yeah, I'll provide a link, John. It's no problem. We can get a link for that. I'll have it myself. Yeah. It sounds interesting. I've not seen that yet. Yeah, because when you watch it, it looks. Um, I mean, I'm all for people beating records, and I'm not really suspicious of of anyone who who plays and you know submits videos. Um, but just watching it and from the experience that I've had with track and field, um, I can't honestly see how you can attain that type of speed. I mean, he, he does commentary as he's, he's chatting and wow. he, he beats the world record. Um, and track and field one round is very, very hard work. Mm. You've got utter concentration, the perfect timing. Um, and, uh, you know, you've really got to be focused. And, you know, when I watch this guy play, I think, it just looks like, you know, the type of game that he's not really putting any effort into. Wow, some people are like that though. Yeah, it could be, and if if it is, or, you know, fantastic. Let's put it into context. On his machine that he's playing um, on his YouTube video, his 100 meter time, the the, the world record, which obviously is his, is yeah. 7.19. Yeah, I couldn't run that in real life. How about you? Absolutely not. <laughs> 
And if you consider that 7.19, my fastest ever time in the, the 100 metres is 7.64. Wow. That's half a second, and that's massive in Dragonfield. I bet, yeah. Because mine's 7.64, and Hector's is 7.54, and that's big. Yeah, 0.1 of a second, it's nothing, that's isn't one it? one tenth of a second, and although it sounds like you're splitting hairs, that's a, quite, that's a bit of a gap, a tenth mm-hmm. of a now this guy's beaten that time by half a second, um, and it's not—it's not just because, you know, you think well he—he's got a faster running technique, and he, you know sometimes you can have the perfect run. All his top scores are seven point two. Yeah. So when when you do your your technique, do you use the single button or the dual button method? Just the single button. Yeah, I just used a, a preferred button, which is normally the left button because you've got a left. And a right run, and the jump is in the centre. Yeah. So if if you walk up to the cab, you typically want to be on the left hand side because it's not just for the running side. You need to jump as well. So you can just move your flick your one of your fingers forwards to either jump um, or throw. Um, but yet yeah, I always prefer um, to be on the left button. But what I normally do is I'd I'd always put um, two player game in. And just to check the buttons on the cab. We're going back to like before, like I said, I'll, I'll just turn up at Arcade Club or I'll turn up at um, Fun Spot or I'll turn up at someone's house and I'll have track and field. Yeah. And then I'll just go for it. Um, you know, if the button's in really bad condition, you're going to need to maybe alter the, the leaf swing t- a slight bit. But we're not talking about, um, you know, having your own cab at home and really customizing the cab. You know, yeah. it's something that I've not done yet because I've not gone for a one round record. Um, but I know I'm capable of of um, being a contender. Definitely, yeah. When, when I look into it and see the way um, that these guys have done it, it's the type of thing that's going to take a long time to do. And like I said, you're going to have to, you know, record literally hundreds, if not thousands, of attempts. Yeah, this this game is your last game, which you became the eighth person in the world to do, is perfect Pac-Man. It's mm. a very very different set of skills, isn't it? With, with Pac-Man, you knew exactly how the machine worked, how all the ghosts worked, and you memorised every every where the power pills are and everything, and you sort of you ruled the game. But with mm-hmm. this one, it seems a very very different game where your fingers have got to go like lightning, and you've got to get those perfect angles on the jumps every single and the throws every single time, and you've only got a finite amount to do it in, and then the game ends. There's a kill screen, that's it. Whatever your score is, that's what you settle at. Yeah, yeah, and it's. Track and field was a welcome break from Pac-Man for me as well because when I first started playing um, track and field, it was in '83 because as soon as it came out in '83, the arcades had it. It was it was a massive hit. Track and field. Oh yeah, I used to play it a lot when I was a kid. It was brilliant. But it was like I said, it was a welcome break because I was playing Pac-Man at the same time, and it, it's quite a solitary game, Pac-Man. And when you become sort of like an elite player of Pac-Man, you're on your own, and um, when you go into the arcade with your friends or you meet up with people you meet up with them and then you know within a very short space of time you're on your own and everyone else is in the background laughing and joking and having a, a good time um yeah. so for me it was a welcome break because i would come away from pac-man or go to the arcade and the days where i wouldn't be playing the likes of pac-man i play other games and i focus quite a bit also on track and field because it was you know one of them communal games that you could get together and have a good laugh as well yeah, definitely. We used to have such a scream at lunchtimes. We used to get like pot noodles and diet cokes, and then we just just, just own the machine, just play con- constantly. And I think the guy has to come and kick us off and turn the machine off just to get us to go back to school. Yeah, and that was the that was the challenge as well with track and field because at first 
um, you know, it, it's a great laugh. And then once you start taking it seriously and think, well, hang on a minute, we don't need two people to try to go for records. Let's, you know, let's push ourselves and let's come up with different um, techniques where we can challenge the records individually instead of having two people, for example. Mm-hmm. And that's that's the reason why, um, as far as like the multi-finger technique was concerned, it, that's not something that I ever saw on the TV because it's not like now where you have the internet and you could watch people do it. Yeah, definitely. I'd never heard of it before. So you went from button bashing um, and then... I'd heard of, especially in, it was Computer and Video Games magazine, that there was um, there was rumours that people were using the likes of um, <laughs> mixers with, um, you know, it's a, an electric bread knife. So they took, oh, the, right. they took the blade out and put it on a button so it vibrates. Yeah. There was loads of different people using a pencil between the two run buttons. And, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah, flicking things. And so, you know, if, and I'm... We tried these things at different stages. One of the guys would bring in something and say, "We'll try that." Yeah. But you know, the challenge was then was, "No, hang on, let's do it and let's we'll do it ourselves." And and I'm not saying I invented the multi-finger technique because I could don't know what was happening in the U.S. at the time. But the the, the technique started off when we would be um, flicking the buttons either side. Um, trying to alternate and get that perfect timing left and right. So you'd be doing it flicking with your fingers. Yeah. So I started doing it on one button, which was um, one finger just flicking over and over and over again. So you could only really get so much speed. And then it just progressed into two and two. So we just I had two and two fingers together. And I used to play with a guy called Mark Marshall, um, who was a really great track and field player. And then we were just bouncing off each other then because he would be doing – two and two fingers and then I you know it was a laugh still because it's like watch this I can do three and three um, and then obviously it took time to perfect that technique but you know once that um, that multi-finger technique was perfected that's when we started going for really really fast times and long distances hmm. so the way the way you run tell us about your t- technique for running you use three bu- three fingers on each hand on one button is that correct? Yeah. Okay. So my technique is is um, your three fingers obviously to the left of your little finger. So I lead off with my um, right hand, which is the your wedding ring finger. Do you follow? Yeah. 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 So I lead off of that one. I hold both fingers up, and basically I put my thumbs on the um, on the control panel, and I form almost like a um, a pyramid shape. Mm-hmm. And I use a technique which I it was again when we were in the arcades. I was watching so many, you know, you competitive the playing, and then you're trying to get the perfect start. Now, the start in track and field is absolutely crucial in the 100 metres because if you listen for the gun, your reaction time, your human reaction time, even if you hear the gun and you immediately go for the button, yeah. the time it takes for your brain to send the signal to your fingers, for your fingers to fall to the button and then the, the button to contact, make contact underneath. Yeah. You're talking at least two tenths of a second, even if you're really, really quick. Yeah. So the idea with 100 meters is, and you know, to to your listeners, this is really going to sound, you know, quite anal. You have to almost preempt that gun and to do a. You don't want to fly in stars. Hmm. But I then saw an opportunity because on track and field, when when you're playing, to the left of your um, your initials, which says one player. There's an arrow that flashes, and then to the right of your either your distance or your time, there's another arrow. Yeah. So, the hundred meters, um, for example, your player automatically walks up to the blocks, 
gets down to the blocks and then the the starter says on your marks get set and as soon as the 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 starter says set you'll see the two arrows alternating all the time so when this animation's going on and you're getting ready and and your player's coming up to his blocks you're listening to what the uh, the starter's saying on your marks the, the arrows are flashing left right left right left right get set and as soon as he says set in your periphery vision, you'll see one of them arrows have just lit up. Ah. You immediately look at that arrow and you count six flashes of that arrow. So it's on your marks, get set, and it's one, two, three, four, five. Fingers up ready. Looking at the arrow, six, just go for the run. So that's how you get a, a perfect start on track and field. Ah, I see. Secrets are coming out now. Yeah, there's lots of, there's lots of secrets as far as that. And nearly everyone knows about you know, you can get the mole that pops up if you if you fail your first two. Um, yeah. You know, on your high jump, and then you go. That's when you need them extra thousand points, but you then need to qualify, and you need to get a decent qualification, either throw or height, and that's how that's how you get these um, the massive scores to go to challenge for a, a one round world record as well. Yeah, definitely. The run technique you said about with your fingers. I remember when I was a kid, people used to put their their art their fingers through the arm of their jumper and use it as a sort of a rubbing technique yeah and you said about the pencil i think people used to put a golf ball on it and some crazy ways of doing things mm. but the guy i used to i used to be the jump guy because i could get the 45 pretty <laughs> recently pretty good yeah. he used to use just two fingers two index fingers on the one button and go like crazy yeah and is it possible to actually get a full a full uh quota of of run because you've got like a little segments down the bottom of the screen it shows you how fast you're running is yeah. it actually possible to get to right to the very top because he used to get very close about one bar away yeah it's, when you go up as the bars increase um 1400 speed for example is one full bar away from the, you know the, the meter being full up yeah so and you, and you can actually fill the, the meter i suppose no on the likes of the, i think the fairest i've got is probably 1440 or 1450 yeah. on yeah. on the on the javelin all oh, right. So, so this is where we're talking about getting those extra few points in, just if you can get slightly faster. Absolutely. And on the the hundred meters, for example, the 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 speed that you're you're aiming for is well in excess of twelve hundred. Yeah. Mm. So when you get to twelve hundred, and you're actually running away, and you're using your six fingers, and it sounds like a you know a machine gun going off. My concentration. I'm looking at the speed meter. Yeah. yeah. Once I've got that flying start, it's not a flying start, but once I've got that perfect start and I know the hairs on the back of your neck lift up, you've got that perfect start, but you've then got seven and seven and a half odd seconds to put everything together. You've got your timing, you've watched the arrows, you've almost preempted the, the, the gun, you've got off onto a great start, and that timing has to be perfect. You watch the speed meter go up, you know as the speed meter increases. I've got this. This is a, a great run. You get to twelve hundred, it keeps going. Twelve ten, twelve twenty, twelve thirty. You can see the line coming up. Mm-hmm. It's almost like you're in the event. It it really is. It's a difference in having a laugh and watching. You know, when you fall over at the hurdles, and it is a laugh. Yeah. Um, but there's a difference in when you're going for competitive gaming. And I don't want to sort of sound like Bill or you know in the King of Kong, but there really is. Once you want to pin yourself to a, a score like that. It ain't fun anymore. It, it bec- you almost become one with the game. Um, so you have to be really immerse yourself into every single event 
Um, and that's when it becomes serious because a lot of the guys who are going for these type of scores, or if you're going for a, a great score on, on your um, chosen game, you've got to be really poker-faced and you can almost look miserable sometimes. Yeah, absolutely. There's concentration and concentration, isn't there? Absolutely, and it, it, it really is, and that's what track and field's about as well, as well as any other game. You know, you've watched the guys when they play competitive defender or um, Galaxians or Gallagher. Some people make it look really easy and laid back, but you can guarantee they're absolutely one with the game and one with the machine. There's no other way to do it. You can't be laid back and you can't... Um, you can't you can't really do commentary as you're doing it, and that's why um, watching the guy do that, the world record on track and field, and he's just doing commentary. It looks like he's just tapping the buttons. Yeah, it just looks suspect to me. Well, you say that. Um, I know it was it was infinite play when you were playing it, but I watched the video when you were talking to Sean a little while ago at Arcade Club, and you played for seven hours. Mm. You were just chatting away, getting 45 degrees every single time, perfect. I was like, how does he do it? Yeah, but you a, seemed very at ease then when you were playing that one. Like I was saying before, there's a there's a massive difference between marathon play um, and you know tournament play or one round play. Yeah. Um, example, I always use as an example because it's such a, a massive achievement. Tony playing missile command. If mm. you watch him play um, tournament settings, he's absolutely focused. It, he looks relaxed, but he's absolutely focused. Um, if you walk up to him and put your, your face near the screen, it, it's going to distract him and it's going to put him off, and he, he's going to get hit. His city is going to get hit by probably a smart bomb. Yes. So you need to give him that bit of room. If he's playing um, normal, regular settings where you get a, an extra, you know, city of ten thousand points, he'll just look around all the time. He knows he can get that every single every single board. It, the game becomes very, very easy to, to you know, to, to the guys who can play to that level. Yeah. The thing is, with one round track and field, is you've got one shot, and it's like I said, it's within them five minutes. There's certain parameters that you've got to come to. Hundred meter dash, you're looking at you. Um, personally, I'm going to be looking at seven point six seconds, seven point seven. Long jump, I've got to look at seven sixty four. Javelin, I'm looking at. Um, You've got to get your extra two thousand points. So what you're going to need to do is you're going to need to to on your first throw of the javelin, you need to put it at the maximum angle, which I think is seventy degrees, so you can get the the bonus, which is off the top of the screen. Yeah. Let's, let's run through the um, before you do it, John. Let's run through the actual the events and how you do them. So the first one you say was a hundred meter dash, and this yeah. is just as you said, get that perfect start and then just run like crazy. Yeah, watch the power meter. As simple as that. It sounds simple, but that is just yeah. it, isn't it? Watch the power meter. Obviously, your competitor's not in it. The, the, the CPU player's just there for, obviously, you know, just so it looks the part. Yeah. You're, look, you're looking at the, the speed. You know what you've got to aim for. You know the progression to get to that speed. And, like I said, you know when you've had that great start because yeah. it, you can... Well, your listeners can watch it now anyway. If you watch track and field, as soon as he says, get set... That word set, as soon as he says, he says it very clearly, get yeah. set, that's when you watch the, the arrows. And the sixth illuminated arrow, as soon as that arrow illuminates, that's your prompt to get going. Yeah. So if this game had no sound, you wouldn't be able to play it? Simple as that. Not yeah, I would be because you know it's if he didn't, you, could, you wouldn't know when he's saying get set, but as soon as he says set, your player lifts up. Yeah, I see, right. Yeah, so it would be possible, but we'll get to something later on about audible stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. So the second one is a long jump, and this is run like crazy. Yeah. And you've still got to run as well, haven't you? It doesn't run for you. 
Absolutely, you need your to speed run. on the long jump as well. So the, the faster you run, um, you know, the, arguably the further you go. But you know, the, the certain optimal angles that you have for different ones, and it's forty-two for the long jump. All oh, right. So I always thought it was forty-five for all the events. No, no, forty-two for the long. Ah, okay. Javelin. I don't know. There's a bit of an argument about the javelin. Some people say forty-three. Some say forty-six. I know yeah. it's a big difference, um, but. I won't jump the gun as I usually do. We'll we'll just go through um, individual. So, so when when you're in the air um, with the long jump as well, you keep running. Does that keep you in the air longer? I, I thought that was a, a myth, but I've seen people do that. Is that a fact? It makes no difference in the oh, in really the, absolutely no difference in the long jump. Oh, okay. The only times it has any influence, yeah, when you're actually either the object is in the air or you're in the air, and that's on the javelin. Yeah. And on the, the high jump. Ah, okay. I thought it was a long jump as well. I'm glad. I must look at right, is it, when I'm playing long jump and I'm still running. People probably think, why are you running, you idiot? You're in the air. What's the matter with you? Mm, okay. So the next one is a javelin. And it's a similar... You run and then do a, a jump or a press of the, the throw button and get a certain angle. Same sort of thing. Well, we need to... Can we just go back slightly? Sure. Bit? Sure so, uh, as far as the long jump is concerned, because there's more to the long jump than um, just running and then jumping. Okay. We know the op- sort of the optimal angle or the ideal angle for the long jump is 42, because that's how you get the longest distance. Yeah. Universally accepted as 9.72. Wow. Uh, there was, I think, you know, track and field wasn't just a button game as well. There's actually a track ball game as well. There's also a joystick version, but they must be abhorrent to you. Yeah, absolutely. And they, they <laughs> it's almost like Ms. Pac-Man compared to Pac-Man to you, this sort of thing. Yeah, the original was buttons, and what they did was, mm. I think some of them um, converted them to um, to trackballs because the buttons would just got smashed all the time and it, yeah. you know, it would never earn any money. So they changed it to a trackball. But I think it was the trackball um, versions that you could get 9.75. Oh. So 9.72 is the furthest distance anyway. Another thing about a long jump is if you, and this is extremely rare, if you get three identical jumps, yeah, you get a thousand bonus. Oh. Yeah, and he runs up. I didn't know about that one. I was reading up on these on some of the things online. I didn't know about that one. Yeah, I've had a, f- I've had a few of them. But, well, that'd but back- be a mega bonus, wouldn't it? Yeah, back in the day, it's like a, it almost looks like a ghost runs along the crowd at the back. Oh, um, wow. But yeah, you get a thousand bonus, and that's something not many people know because... You never see anyone do it. Um, yeah. Just another thing about the long jump as well is when you virtually approach the, the takeoff board for the long jump, yeah. you'll find that when you're running, and this, this is a good tip for, you, for, for your listeners as well, because a lot of people, have, you know, they're trying to time the board to perfection. Yeah. And because by the time you get to the board, you're moving pretty quickly. And mm-hmm. if you, once you let go of the, the run button and go for the jump, that can be the distance in you going over the board or being too far behind. Yeah. Now, when you hit the board, I don't know what the exact speed difference is, but it ranges from 25 to 50 on the speed meter. Yeah. So if you just touch the board, it gives you a tiny bit more speed, yeah? Yeah. If you jump exactly on the board, because you can see the circle appears on the board. Yeah, your little footprint, yeah. Yeah, you almost got Sometimes I think it's giving you an extra 60 speed on your runner. Wow. So if you've got a perfect jump, which means that when you jump the little circle that represents where you've jumped from, if that's dead on the board and you've got a 42 angle and you've got a decent speed, that's how you're going to get 972. But it's it's about the five meters before the board. 
and you can practice it yourself. Once you're running really quickly, you can just take your fingers off the run and, and you don't lose any speed. Yeah, he sort of he sort of does a slide, doesn't he? It does, and it it sort of holds your speed, mm-hmm. so you don't have to run all the time right up to the board. You oh, can yeah, because it would be difficult timing that to get your finger off the runs onto the jump. Yeah, you can just take your fingers off and then preempt the um, the jump. Then, so it just gives you that split second or you know half a second to take your hands off the run and get you get ready for the um, to, to get a decent angle. And wow. a decent an- decent angle is always in your brain. Then it's hit the button down, let go. It's literally half a second. Yeah, I, I can I can usually get in the forties. Yeah, but never exactly on that forty-two or forty. Well, I always thought it's forty-five, and now I know it's forty-two. I'm going to write these down actually. <laughs> Forty-two is, is the best angle for, um, but Perfect. it's you know that. But that's if you're going for um, massive distances. I want to say massive differences. You know, you can get nine point five four massive, but then you can get nine seven two. That's when you're looking at world records. So, how much points difference would that be in the, in those two distances? I don't know the exact points. Um, I'm not sure it works out the points. Yeah, I mean, it's I don't know what the algorithm is or the you know the, the calculations for the points, but it definitely is. Is you know, it's a, I don't know what like I said, I don't know what algorithm they use, but the faster you run, and the the, the perfect angle, that it's going to have to be something that you know where they broke down the the code for the likes of Pac-Man and. Yeah, I'm sure someone's done it, or one one of the guys on maybe UK VAT could do that sort of thing. They can get in the code and have a look. Absolutely, and it's you know that's it. The guys who are listening, they'll have a lot more experience than I might be. You know the the donkey that goes ahead and tries this to get records on games, yeah. but you know no means to. I know about programming or you know that side of the game, but you know I'm sure someone can look into that. Oh yeah, we'll we'll leave it to the boffins. It's fine. Yeah, definitely. So next definitely. up after the long jump is the javelin. Yeah, it's a similar. Um, similar sort of thing where you run as fast as you can and then when you get to the end uh, I presume he holds the run like in, on the long jump and then you press the button to get to and what is the the best angle on this one? It tends to be 43 43 but like I said there's different guys have said different things you know it's but the thing is with the, the javelin um, there's, there's no um, sort of you know ideal um, um, distance to go for there are maximums type of thing because on the javelin, if you throw over a hundred meters, which is possible, yeah, it only registers um, four digits, which is say ninety nine point five zero. Oh right, I see. So there is a cut off to that. Absolutely, yeah. It doesn't show the the third or in the hundreds. It only shows you know up to the tens. So is there a maximum points you can get for that that particular part of the game then? Yeah, it's, and it's because I've not gone for one round, and therefore I haven't got a table of scores that equates to um, distances or times. Yeah. But yeah, and I'm sure there is that if. But the thing is, with track and field, to to get your one round maximum, so say 95k is the world record, mm-hmm. you may it's a you may be stronger in the hundred meters than I am in the long jump. I might be stronger in the javelin than you are in the hammer, and yeah. you may be stronger in the high jump um, than than I am in the hundred and ten meter hurdles. So it's an aggregate score. So as long as you get a, you know, it's quite a straight line across instead of being up and down as far as the scores are concerned. Yeah. When you put all them scores together and, you know, the total scores are going to equal, you know, the world record. But like I said, some people are stronger in certain areas. Some people are, are not. And you're never going to get your perfect, um, perfect events in every game. You're going to get a great 100-meter um, run. You think that's fantastic. A mediocre long jump, you may get 9.54, where you could have had 9.72. Mm. But that's not the end. If you were to get 
I'd say a 7.400 meter, 9.72 long jump, 99 meter javelin, sub 10 second, 110 meter hurdles, 99.7 hammer, whatever the highest throw is, 72. And if you were to get 2.50 meters in the high jump, I'm sure you're going to be looking at 98,000 points, not 95. Wow. So that just goes to show that even though the world record's 95, there's still a bit to go. Yeah, yeah, it's still a bit in there, isn't there, for yeah. lots of people to go at. It's almost like a perfect game of track and field, you see, and that's what it really ignited my interest in it. Once I got perfect Pac-Man, or shooting for perfect Pac-Man, I thought, well, you know, I'm a sort of a contender on track and field anyway. Why not go for sort of the perfect game of Pac-Man? And it's the same goes for 1942. Mm. The world record on that. Um, Martin's world record is 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 a fantastic score, but there's a lot more that you can put on top of that. So they're the type of things that have interested me. Um, yeah, some little bit to go in there. It's a bit bit sort of be had still. Yeah, yeah, and on on these the you know the big classic titles that so many people play. Um, that's what really rouses my interest as well because so many people have played them and tried so many different things that to come up with something new or you know to break one of these scores. It, it, it takes a lot of time to do it. Absolutely, yeah. And a lot of effort. So we're, we're on the javelin still. So this is one where you do, when you when you throw that javelin, you do keep running to keep the javelin in the air longer. Yeah, it gives you lift, yeah. Yeah. Because with this one as well, do you actually see, when you, when your javelin is flying through the air and you're, you're running like crazy, do you still see the run keep going or does it not, not show up? No, no. Once you've once you've hit the the throw or the it's a jump button and a throw button. Once you've hit the throw button and you've released your javelin, the only th- the only um, influence that you've got on the, on the distance then is is like I said, if you just use your um, either a button bash technique or you just use a multi finger technique to to give the javelin that little bit more lift. Yeah, but that that's the sort of thing that's not obvious because the the run or the sort of the run meter doesn't show up so people just hit the button and let it go and just watch it yeah but i've noticed when i was a kid even i think we kept running we we noticed a little bit of difference and that was obviously before the internet as well no one told us to keep running That's i don't it. think there's any in, there's no instructions that tell you to keep running while things are in the air not at all and it's it, mm. it's a it's the type of thing that when you use a multi-finger technique and i still do it i mean I, i'll keep running on the the long jump even when i'm in the air and it's yeah. not so i'm trying to get more lift it's it's just purely um, it's just habit because that's what I'm going to do in the um, in the high jump and that's what I'm going to do in the javelin. It yeah. tends to be more habit forming, and because you've run so fast with your fingers, you don't really just stop. It's just it's almost to let your fingers cool down and to, you know. <laughs> yeah, especially yours. They sound like machine guns when you're playing this game. The reason why I do it is because as soon as I've stopped and I've released the javelin. There's nothing more then to do than you know maybe just to just keep flicking the buttons just to keep. Yeah your fingers exercised but you know with the javelin it does it gives you a bit more lift yeah and, definitely you know your, your qualification distance on you know round three is going to be 90 meters anyway so you need to throw pretty far so this this is one of the ones where you, you hit the bird when you you run as fast as you can and then you hit the the end point and you hold the button down i think it goes to 70 or 75 percent and yeah. the javelin just goes right up in the air and you and a bird comes down on the end of your javelin that gives you an extra thousand points yeah, you need about eleven fifty speed to reach it. Um, yeah, I think if you run eleven hundred speed ish, um, and then you get eighty degree on your javelin, you don't quite make it to the top of the screen. Oh, I see. So your javelin needs to go out the top of the screen and hit the the bed or whatever it represents. It almost to me, it looks like it doesn't even look like a bed. It looks like a um, 
a suit of armour helmet to me. Yeah, that's a weird looking thing, isn't it? Because I remember the first time I ever did it, because I think someone must have told me back in the day. And we used to do it all the time just for a laugh. Hey, look at that thing coming down. And it just sort of goes up and spears it and comes down and you get this massive, you know, these bonuses. Yeah, and it's, the, the bonuses, to be honest with you, and I never really do it when I'm um, I'm, I'm going for like a, a marathon score because who cares about a thousand point bonus? Yeah, so the actual throws give you way more than a thousand, so you don't bother with that one. I just don't bother. And the reason why I don't bother is I just want to get on with the game. Um, yeah. I want to get that event out of the way. I just want to get my qualification and push the score up. And that's the reason why, as far as the, you know, you watch me playing when I'm playing, um, you know, the, the the default setting, which is you just keep going on. It's it becomes very very monotonous, and it's just a um, a question of endurance. Then, yeah. And he, although you can say, "Wow, look how fast he can do that," and there's no skill involved to me. Then the skill to me then is is to um, is just to narrow it down to one event and put it all on the line um, just for five minutes. Yeah. So the next one we've got is 110 meter hurdles. This is run as fast as you can, and basically you just keep pumping the jump button so you don't hit the ja- hit the the hurdles. What you, what you find with 110 meter hurdles is you use the same um, technique on your start. Okay, so just remember the 100 meter. Yeah, yeah. So on your marks, get set, and then you use your your six flashing arrow technique, and that gives you your, your perfect start. Yeah. Um, you just need to remember with this, it's a slightly further. It. it it takes a bit more out of you, the 110 metre hurdles, because it's 10 metres further and you've got barriers in the way, so you've got to run as fast as you can. And in between the running, you have to touch the, the jump button. Yeah, it's very quick as well, isn't it? Absolutely. And if, you, if you're really quick at, at doing it, you, you become proficient in the, the speed. You find that you just run, jump, run, jump, run, jump. It almost becomes a, um, it, it just the, the technique becomes... More like a rhythm, isn't it? Absolutely. Jump, run, jump, run. Um, and you need to remember because sometimes I've done it myself. I don't know if it's just me um, because you've already done 100 meters, and I don't really. I'm not looking that much at the how far I've I've gone unless I know that the time's important. Um, you can see your time increasing, but you need to remember there's 110 meters, not 100. Because I've done it before and just fell flat after the last hurdle. Oops! And you only get one chance at the 110 meter hurdles, don't you? If you fall over after round three, you you can't do it. It's 11.5 seconds, and it's impossible. Yeah. So that that one is. Are there, is there even a second between each jump? It's not very long, is it, when you're running that speed? No, there isn't. It's less than a second because yeah. uh, you're looking at ten seconds anyway. You know, typically ten point four. If you're running quite quick, mm-hmm. you can get sub ten, obviously. But like I said, there's a massive difference, and even though it's half a second, there's a big difference there. Wow. But you're looking at say ten and a half seconds to complete 110 meters. So yeah, it's less than a second per ten meters or per. Yeah. Yeah, I knew it was pretty quick. So we're on to the hammer now. Now this one, you can probably try and help me here. Yeah. I can never do the hammer. It's very rare I got to do the hammer properly. And you told me a little while ago, and I've always thought about it, it's an audible thing. Can you explain that to us? Yeah, for me it's audible. There's different techniques. Some people look at the um, the, the power bar at the bottom. So you've got your power at the bottom, which, um, like the 100 metres and like the other events, it max it maxes out to 1500 from zero to 1500. But on this event, you don't have to run; it does it automatically. Absolutely, as soon as you press, um, jump, well, you jump or you run, um, you throw. Yeah, it's just a button in it, yeah, and it gets going. And yeah. the guy starts spinning slowly and slowly. And he speeds up as he gets towards the line. Yeah, each time he does one revolution, um, you'll hear a swoosh. Yeah. Like, shoo, shoo. Each time you hear that swoosh, you'll see the the actual um, hammer itself turns red. Right. Okay. Okay. 
so th- there's your prompt for, for release. So that's your release. Now, if you release on, say, the fifth spin um, and you get a 40-odd degree angle, you can sort of guarantee you're going to get a qualification because I think the maximum qualification then is 80, 80 meters. Yeah. So you'll get 80 meters with, with five revolutions. The only thing is after the fifth revolution, um, it speeds up very quickly then. Yeah. So it's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. So you go yeah. ninth spin. So I just, you know, I listen out for the, the, the last swooshing effect right at the end. Mm. And you'll find that if you release it on the ninth spin anyway, you're on 1500 speed. Not necessarily because you probably see me when I start off, I, I tap the button and I keep tapping it then because if you tap it up to the third or fourth spin, you can let go of them then because you're guaranteed that if you release it on the ninth, you will have 1500. Yeah. But it gets really quick and it's quite easy to miss that one. And, you, and your guy just sort of misses and he scratches his head in confusion. To me, it's by far the, 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 the most skillful event yeah, in, definitely. in the second field. Um, and the reason why I say that is, it's, it's, for me, I think it's quite straightforward to release the hammer even on the, the, the ninth spin. Um, but it's getting it down the, the closest line to you. You know, you've got your, um, your lines painted on the field. Yeah, and is it, if you get a dead straight throw of the hammer, because you've got a sort of certain angle, and it can go out of boundary as well. Yeah, yeah, and that's it. If, if you release the hammer um, to the, on the line that's nearest you, on painted on the field, yeah. if you release it so it just misses the outside of the, the cage and effect that you're in, Yeah. if you release it there, it goes all the way down the line towards you, and if you've got a 45 angle there, that is the, the you know the, when you get the furthest distance, and that's when you go for your record. Yeah, yeah, that one I've always had trouble with. That's the one that always kills me off. Mm. And you get—is it still three attempts at that as well to to qualify? Yeah, and what you find as well is—and this is something I was going to discuss in the in the other events—but it's to me, it's almost like the ghost in the machine. If you're on the long jump for argument's sake, and you don't qualify in the first two attempts, yeah, I you can bet your bottom dollar that the third attempt. Even if you get 1,400 speed and a decent angle, it will rob you of the distance. And you'll be oh. sometimes you're lucky if you qualify. Oh, right. I see. For the guys who, who've got the, um, the knowledge of looking into the code, I'd be really interested in that. Because everyone throws their hands up sometimes and throws the toys out the cot and say, I've just been robbed. And you're, some people swear and all the rest of it. But I, I'm a firm believer, especially with track and field, that if you don't qualify... Um, especially in the likes of the the long jump in the first two attempts you struggle to get the third one yeah well maybe we'll put it out on as a a thread on UK VAC because there are some guys who are coders who can go in and maybe look at the algorithms and and maybe there is something in the source code saying about it yeah and it's it's interesting isn't it to see if because I mean I'm always I'm a great person for saying oh that game robbed me you know it's, it's fixed yeah, well, I'm and sure it, it isn't half the time, but I like to use it as an excuse. But on some of them, we're damn sure it is, isn't it? Without question, um, mm. and it's the same applies to different games. But without, for me, it's without it's question of a doubt on track and field, um, on certain events, and it's quite random sometimes. It's almost as if they put a line of code in. Ten equals you're a crap player. You've on your third round. Let's yeah. ro- let's rob him. Whatever, however they do that. Yeah. Well, you but, must have played this game thousands of times. And out of those thousands of times you haven't qualified, there must be a, a large amount on the third one. It does rob you. So, therefore, it's got to be, question. isn't it? Yeah, because even on, you know, when you get your thousand bonus on the 
um, the javelin. So yeah. if you want to get your thousand, sorry, on the um, on the javelin you can get two one thousand bonuses. So your first one, you sort of you get your one thousand bonus and you use your second throw, and that's the only attempt you've got if you're going to go for a world record because you need the other two um, throws to get them two one thousand bonuses. But on your second throw, when you the, the, the distance counts, you can get fourteen hundred and fifty speed with the the perfect angle, and you're lucky if you get ninety five ninety yeah. meters maximum. And if you can guarantee that if you had two perfect throws like that, and you did that on your third one, yeah. you get over, you get over hundred meters. Wow! You tell me how that works. There's something in there. It's got to be. Without, we need, to, we need yeah. to find out. I'll put a thread on UK VAC later on. We'll see if we can find out what it is. Ghost to the machine. Mm, definitely. So the last one is the high jump. Yeah. Did you know that I was a county champion at this in the Army Cadets when I was a teenager? I'm not surprised, Vic. You're about seven foot nine. <laughs> not so much anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so take us through the method of jumping, adjusting, and getting over the bar and landing on this one. Right, high jump, it's, you know, it's as soon as you you touch your run button, it's an automatic run then. Yes. Uh-huh. Once you get near the um, the bar, then obviously the bar approaches. I think you've got 30-meter runoff. Yeah. When the bar approaches, you need to then almost preempt when you're going to sort of get near the bar. The further away from the bar you are, um, the, the more that you need with your, uh, a really optimal angle um, to get over that bar. It's quite difficult. The, the high jumps, some people find it very easy. I find it quite straightforward, but I can see why it's, um, some people struggle because once you press the, the jump, you jump vertically. Yeah, and the more you hold it down, the, the further angle you go. Is that correct? Yeah, but it's a mistake that a lot of people make. Don't hold the button down. You just tap it because I noticed one, when I'm watching some of the, well, even when I used to play it years ago, on the higher jumps, you yeah. have to go almost vertically up in the air to get over it. You can't do it at any sort of angle. It's a very quick tap. Yeah, and, and as you go up and turn in the air to sort of lay in down position, that's when you, you sort your angle and you adjust your angle before you land. Yeah, because you're always, when you press, um, you've got your speed anyway, your, your forward speed. When you, you press jump, you jump upwards, but you've still got the momentum, yeah? Yeah. So as you alter the angle by just tapping the button, you'll see the angle alter, but you'll still move forwards. Now, yeah. that almost gives you control over your, your moving forwards over to clear the bar, yeah? Mm-hmm. So it's all about technique, and when you practice it, you can just you just tap the button in effect. Sometimes you leave it and think, no, leave it, wait until you get to this maximum height, then tap it. But you have to use, it's crucial on a high jump, you've got to use the, um, the lift technique, which is just tapping the buttons to give you a bit more lift. Yeah, I see. So you've got to keep running to get your lift. What I'd say is if you get your preferred hand, so say you're right-handed for argument's sake, yeah. you've got your two run buttons and you jump in the center, use the right button. Yeah, Yeah. okay. Just tap them, you, you play, your athlete starts to run forward towards the bar. Just keep tapping them and just tap them, tap them, tap them. Don't stop tapping that button, yeah? Mm. Hit the, the jump button, keep tapping. You don't have to stop tapping that button, but all the time that's giving you lift. So you can yeah. you can forget about not forgetting to you know get lift, but you typically find that up to two point three meters you don't need really need any lift anyway. But after that you definitely need it. Without question, yeah, you just yeah, you just cannot do it otherwise. I think well the highest I've ever got without lift is two point because the qualification is two point four meters on the later rounds. Yeah, I've, I don't think I've ever had more than two point four one without lift. Mm. So that's something to throw out in case and, anyone. And the very highest is two point five. Am I right? 
No, it's 254, I think. It's... 254, okay. Yeah, yeah. It's impossible to get any further than that. With as, as much running as you possibly can, you still can't get any further than that. Yeah, it's it's, it's all down to t- different camps as well. Because another one in Arcade Club, I'll give you an example. The one in Fun Spot um, in America, That it, that's one of the camps that it doesn't really matter how much you run. It doesn't really give you much lift. Oh. And there's another thing as well that I don't know whether it's down to, um, to different boards or to different... Um, whether there was different um, versions of the board. Yeah, because it's Hyper Olympic and Track and Field. It's the same game, just a different name change. Yeah, because it's it's quite complicated between you the, the, the run button or the you know the lift button, if you want to look at it when you're on the, the high jump. Yeah. It's quite complicated between you touching that um, that button and activating the, the contact in effect, and for it to register on the board as a little bit of lift. Mm-hmm. I, I, don't, I don't know what the differences are in, in different boards or whether there was a difference. But I know the one in Arcade Club, there's no way that you can get over 2.46 or 2.47. Oh, wow. doesn't matter how fast you run. It well, ain't going to be done. I wonder if it's anything daft, because you go in such tiny amounts of speed and, and distance. I wonder if it's just something to do with maybe the quality of the wire from the buttons to the the, the PCB, or maybe there's a an adapter in the way, so it's a jammer adapter or something. I wonder if it's anything to do with that that just gives you a tiny amount of lag in there. Possibly, but I know... It's next to nothing, isn't it? But obviously within scores and, and world records, it's a massive amount. You need to be able to clear 2.48, 2.49. If you can't clear that in any one round track and field, you ain't going to be a challenger for the world record. No, so it needs but, to be absolutely perfect. Yeah, you need to have a machine that allows you to do that. Um, wow. Um, it's almost as if like you maybe have to buy three different boards and just see which board allows you to get 250. On high jump, because what I'm saying is, a really proficient elite player on track and field, there's no reason why they can't get 2.49, 2.50, you know, at a push yeah. on high jump, and I can't do that at an arcade club, and I can't do it at fun sports. Wow, and it's got nothing to do with you know the way I run or anything, because you know I can get a really um, fast time, um, but you know back in the day, in the machine I used in the likes of the Monte Carlo and um, the Las Vegas and Liverpool. I could clear 2.50. Yeah. Wow, such a difference, isn't it? Well, yeah. I know there's plenty of track and field boards you know, floating around. Usually they don't work, though. It's one of those ones that breaks down quite often. Yeah. So I wonder, I wonder if it is just something down to, you know, maybe the components are starting to fail slightly and there's some electrical differences there, maybe. Possibly. It sounds silly, but you know, when you get such minute amounts of difference, maybe it's not like that. Yeah, it's possibly, but maybe there was slightly different variances in in the boards and you know the way they were they were assembled. Mm. I think with track and field, it is a very um, it's a quite a, a complex game to be honest because of the way it calculates. I'm, I'm saying complex. It's 1983. Let's not forget. <laughs> yeah. The memory that that they would have had for that game was next to nothing. So the algorithms that they use for calculating distance, speed, time. And scores relating to scores, I'd love to, to, to you know, to, to look into that a, a bit further. I'm sure the guys who are um, who can, uh, you know, there's like assemblers and you know the guys who look at code. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how they actually work that out and how they um, they measured that. You know, you the speed that you do equating into the the final score that you that you achieved on different events. Yeah, because it's this speed thing though. It's just got me thinking. You know. The relevance of you pressing those buttons and the signal going through on the wire to the adapter, etc., etc. If there's even like a tiny bit of resistance there of any 
electrical, whatever you want to call it, yeah. maybe that does make a very slight difference. And maybe that's why on some machines your times aren't as good as on others. Yeah. Because obviously your fingers will move at maximum speed. I've seen them go. And it's not down to you being a bit tired one day or whatever. You know you can get those speeds all the time, every single time. And mm. then when you go on different machines, it's like, why is that different? Why is you, it different? Why am I not getting as good? Or why did I do better than before on this other one? Do you know, though, Vic, it's, and it's the beauty of the, the you know, classic arcade game. And it's because, you know, it, it's not um, everything now is all solid state. Yeah. The games back in the day, we were talking about wiring very limited amounts of memory. And what happened was, uh, you look at other guys who have uh, achieved you know, world records, and we'll use Tony's for an, an example again, because it's a perfect example for me. When he got the tournament settings on uh, Missile Command, his game ended with a, a misfire. So it was a, a breakdown in communication from that center fire button. Yeah? Yeah. So he pressed it because you can audibly hear him press it on the actual game itself because I've watched yeah. the, this whole game. You can hear the, the button click and there's no fire. Oh, wow. How disappointing so, for him. He must have pressed each one of them missiles. I don't know. They, you get 10 missiles per per base. Yeah. How many rounds did he do? He used. He's pressed the button thousands of times in that game. And he'll actually tell you. And when you go onto the forums, especially in America, the reason why that you know that score was um, lifted up so high, and it was like, how do you do that? Mm. Is because how did how do you get through a game of that length using a fire button like that? You always get misfires. Yeah, because that but that particular board, I think a lot of us have seen game over, and that poor guy trying to do a marathon, and it just keeps resetting on him. And that board seems to be one of the flakiest world record boards I've ever seen. So yeah. obviously there's there's it's old tech, really old tech, and I'm sure it wasn't flawless back in the day. That's what put, puts the shines on on these high scores as well, Vic. And it's mm. not to, to bull up, you know, you know the, the older guys and even the younger guys who are going who are playing classic gaming. The reason why it's, it's become so difficult is because you're not just up against um, technology now. Like I said, it's all solid state Xbox, and you know, very rarely do, does that ever go wrong. Yeah, uh, it, it, it might do online, but that's down to the online connection. But if you're playing um, Xbox on your TV, it never breaks down. It's hardly ever. But it's typically when you play a, a classic arcade game, you can expect that you're going to have a misfire. Yeah, even on the old... I mean, I've, I used to witness it myself. Even when you're playing on an old computer, like mm. a VIC-20 or a Commodore 64 or a Spectrum, whichever one you had when you were a kid, yeah. it, I know it's it's nice to say, oh, it was the game, but sometimes it was. The games used to crash re- regularly because the code wasn't brilliant and obviously the processors weren't brilliant. And, and also, I presume it's exactly the same on an arcade machine. Without question. And you, you, you're mm. talking about you've got other machines around you as well, especially in the arcade. And that's why I love playing in the arcade environment because you, the game can reset. If you've got static, it's yeah. hard it happened to me a fun spot. My game recess. Oh, on Pac-Man, I was you know, and I was over a million points, oh. and that was down to to static. And you know, Randy, one of the guys who I think Randy still works there, one of the technicians, he had to go around spraying anti-static spray on the carpet. That is mad, isn't it? So that's what you're up against. <laughs> and when when you play these type of games, that you need to appreciate, and the guys who are listening to the podcast need to appreciate that if you want to go for one of these world records. You're not just up against the scores and you know the the effort and you know the, the talents of of your competitors. You're up against the machine, and it is really man against machine then. And it's not just about getting the you know the furthest throw, the fastest time. You've got to rely on everything coming together at the same time because at any time it's definitely a challenge, isn't it? 
Yeah, yeah, without without when all the moons align and things so happen like when you did the perfect Pac-Man, everything was just perfect that day, and you did it. And the same goes for for playing Pac-Man. It's you know you've got a, a joystick and you know them contacts are sometimes you know when you reverse them are very very quick. And although obviously you know there's a an element of skill involved in getting perfect games. You've also got, like, I, I appreciated that each time I played, sometimes when, when I'd lost a life, I'd been playing for six, five or six hours. Oh. I'd turn around and say, well, yeah, that's the way it goes. And people would say, how can you accept it like that? You have to, I suppose. You've got, you've got no choice, have you? If you can't accept that type of thing, that when you're going for world records course or if you're going for, for your own, even your own personal best, you have to accept that you've got to accept the, the technology that you use and, and you're going to make mistakes and it's you against the machine. And that's the reason why on the likes of Perfect Games, it's a, it's a, it, it, there's a lot of gravity to them games. It's because I think the guys who, who appreciate that if you can actually beat that machine, because the machine is always, all, all the way through the hours of play, is constantly trying to, 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 you know, to malfunction in effect. Mm-hmm. And you've got to overcome that. And I think, like I said before, that, that's what you know puts the shine on these um, these world records and these massive scores that you see on classic games. Yeah. So, all the technical stuff out the way, I've got some daft questions for you now. Go for it. The first that- one is these, these daft <laughs> Easter eggs in the game, as we, we spoke about before. Yeah. Can you walk... Th- I'm not sure if I know all of them. We've ticked off some ones we've done already. But there's, is there a mould on the long jump? How do you get the mould to come up? On the long jump, it is a. You've got. I think you've got a. You've got a, on the long jump. It's three. I don't. Is there a mole on the long jump? I'm not sure. I, I thought, I'm sure I read about. It. Maybe it's this ghost you said about. When you get exactly three exactly the same distance yeah. jumps, is that what happens? Maybe that's why I'm confusing it. Yeah, and a lot of the times when um, when I played track and even though I played it a lot a lot recently because you know just keeping that you know the, your finger technique going and you you know. Yeah. In your mind, you think, well, you know, I'm, I want to keep sort of on the boil if I go for a big score. Mm-hmm. I've forgotten a lot about the game as well, and and no, on the on the long jump that you get three um, identical distances. Yeah, you can get your bonus on that. That's one. Um, on the the javelin, that's the the obvious one because the if bird, you, yeah, yeah, it's an off screen. Um, hammer throws nothing on there. Um, I'm not sure if there's one on the hurdles. Okay. Um, I'm not sure about that, but there may well be. Um, the high it's, not, it's not the kind of thing you go for when you're trying your world record attempts, though, is it? Because you're just going like crazy. You're not trying to get these silly little bonuses because they're not worth as much as doing a good a good score or a certain distance. Absolutely, it only really comes into effect when you when a thousand points in track and field when you're going for a world record is crucial. Mm. If you miss one of them, you know you you could jeopardize the whole game. But on the on the high jump anyway, there's you've got your bonus where you um, deliberately foul the first two. Yeah, and this is a mole, isn't it? I'm sure I've seen yeah, this one. That's it. It's your mole that comes out just <laughs> right before you jump. Um, if we used to call it different things. We used to call it a turd back in the because <laughs> <laughs> it's brown. <laughs> yeah, you, you did a bit of a turdy jump, so yeah, fair yeah. enough. But yeah, on the high jump, yeah, you fail your first two. Um, and that's what they do anyway. The guys are going for the um, yes. Yeah, so you can get that thousand, the thousand twice, and then yeah. Yeah, you need to get that bonus, and then you need to clear. You definitely need to clear two forty eight, possibly two forty nine, on your final jump, and that's what makes it a bit nerve wracking then. Because is it one chance? You've only got one chance, yeah. Wow. Um, but there's no reason, like I said before, as long as you know you're proficient at running and you're on a machine that um, it allows you to get that, you know, gives you that type of lift. 
because you know on the the one in arcade club allows you to get great lift on the on the um, the javelin throw. I've got no qualms about that, but on the high jump, it doesn't. Oh wow! How strange is that? Yeah. So, how much do you hate slam buttons on on track and field machines? Oh, you mean the the um, the, the the button bashing technique? Yeah, there is on on some machines. I've seen this back in the day. I think they were provided by the the, the, the suppliers of the arcade boards. A lot of these buttons were getting mullered because people were going crazy. I'm like slapping them with their hands and beating them with their fists. And they brought out a thing called a, a slam button. It's got like a sort of um, a, like a shoulder around the back of it, hasn't it? So you can't hit them hard, even though you hurt your hand. Yeah, and it, it, it wasn't really, to be honest with you, um, Vic, it may well have been for that reason, but it completely stops you from using a multi-finger technique and playing forever. Yeah, so we, we don't like them at all, do we? Or joysticks. Or, well, or they're ridiculous, calls. aren't they? Because the ones with the shields on, it's not as if it's um, stopped you from using your fists. It, you literally have to get two fingers and put them vertically to press the buttons, and it's ridiculous. So Yeah, awful it, things. It wasn't fair on the game, and it was, you know, I'm all for making a profit if you were the operator, mm. but it made it ridiculous. So instead of enjoying the game as it was intended to be enjoyed, it became a, a joke because the shield was literally, you know, half round the, the top of the button. So yeah. it took away the fun of the game. It was became silly. So we are going to endorse cutting those things off if you ever seen one on an arcade machine. It just throw it away. <laughs> Get rid of it. Have you tried um, a joystick version? Because you've got to waggle the joystick left and right, like we did playing Daily Thompson's Decathlon when we were kids on the computers. You've actually got to waggle it. I presume you can't get anywhere near that as fast because you're going from left to right to left to right, and there's obviously a distance between the different micro switches, so it must be slower, surely. Well, no, it's not. It's the opposite, Vic, because oh. um, with, the, with the joystick, I know if you're using left and right, obviously you've only got two contacts. Yeah. What, what they did back in the day was there's the people who've actually got track and field machines and they've installed a, an eight-way sort of Robotron joystick. Yeah. So you've got eight contacts, so you just... Oh, right, so it's like a lot quicker. That's right. cheating. That's, that's definitely cheating, isn't it? Round and round in a circle, so... Ah, right, I get it. So you can st- stir your porridge, you know. <laughs> I'm sure you wear that thing out really quick. <laughs> so... Yeah, what is the what is the next game in your sights for owning? Because obviously this one you need a, you need to get a machine soon. Hopefully, one of our listeners or someone on the forums can sort you out with a machine, maybe of your own, and, and obviously boards won't be a problem. Or even donate one. Yeah, yeah, donate donations, please, for John. If you've got a track and field machine of half disc, it doesn't even matter. It doesn't have to be a real machine, does it? Just a a nice looking machine with decent screen, obviously original boards inside, and some decent leaf switch buttons on it. Definitely, yeah. I mean, even you know Andy's in arcade club he's even said to me that you know it's it's not uh, you know impossible that if you're going to go for a um you know any sort of world records on games you know he's the type of guy who'd be prepared to you know to loan you a game so you can go for the record yeah that'd be really nice wouldn't it one other thing i thought about as well because you, you said that this new guy who's on youtube who can get yeah. these colossal speeds and records and such he was mm. using the two buttons could yeah. could you not there's nothing illegal in twin galaxies or arcade about Moving the buttons to a different position. Could you not have the two but the two run buttons next to each other, and then have the the jump to the right or the left of them rather than in the middle? Would that help at all? It probably would, Vic. But it's going back to what I was saying before. As at the moment, and I don't want to be open a big argument and to be contentious, but no. as, as far as I'm concerned, the the peer review system now on Twin Galaxies, it, it it's not it's not consistent. If like I said, if you want to go, if you go, for, for, if you're a challenger for the Donkey Kong World Record. 
um, it, it's absolutely scrutinised. Yeah, mm, definitely. But if you want to go for track and field, you know, it, it just doesn't seem to be the, the scrutiny. Just doesn't seem to be the same. I know you have to submit a video. Yeah, but it, it, it's you know who's to say that the guys who were saying yes, I accept this as a world record, your granny who's got no interest in gaming could join Twin Galaxies. Um, become a member on the forum and press yes and agree to yes. I I agree that this world record took place. Yeah, and, I suppose. Thought, and more importantly, it's authentic. And it was there was a recent post on um on UK VAC where the, the guys were talking about um the scores on the likes of Galaxian. Yeah. Um, and I think it was um, Dave Hamilton um, Tronads. He was he's he's pushed his score up on Galaxian. And I think he's approaching two hundred thousand now, which is fantastic. I mean, getting there, isn't he? Awesome, Brett. Yeah, but you know, there's, there's a point that I put on there that you know, who's going to sit there and watch, you know, someone play? The only person who watched my game in its in, in its entirety wasn't even the guys who watch live at Margate because no one stood there for six hours and twenty eight minutes. <laughs> Not only you. The only guy who was there was me, and the other guy that was there was the Twin Galaxy Chief Referee from 2007, was Rob Merchek, yeah? yeah? He's the only fella who's actually watched that entire game. Now, also, obviously, you know, you've got to put it down to um, people say, well, I know John, I've seen him play live, and, you know, he, you know, he's a, an elite Pac-Man player, and he's playing back in the day and all the rest of it. Yeah. Okay, well, you can accept that. But if you're going to go for a world record, it, you've got to have consistency, and either you watch the whole um, submission and you say, I've watched it all. It was all one submission. There wasn't any, um, nothing was joined together. There doesn't seem to be any foul play. Yeah. To me, that's still, you know, it's still a little bit contentious on the on the peer review system. Yeah. Um, but going back to what you were saying before, you know, there doesn't seem to be any, you know, any rules to say that, you know, you, you could do whatever you wanted to do. There's an argument to say that you really need to see your hands. Yeah, uh, definitely. I, You're not using any sort of, because I'm sure you could probably set up a um, an electronic circuit which could press micro switches very quickly or give it a pulse. Absolutely. So yeah, definitely with with that one, you have to have the the, you know, the video over your hands so they can actually listen to you play and people could say, yeah, he's definitely doing that speed. His fingers are going like crazy. He's definitely doing that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely that one. For me, also is with track and field is the enjoyment I get is although you. You know, on each machine that you go on, you look at the scores and think, I, I'll have a go at that world record on that machine. Yeah. And going back to what I was saying before is that when you're going for the one-round record, you really need to have your own personal machine, which is um, almost tailored to you. Yeah. Uh, it's nice to, to see um, these gamers come out of their um, comfort zones, you know, for, for want of a better expression. For me, it's all about going to, um, to an event. So say Revival, for argument's sake. Yeah, yeah. And you go there, and there's a track and field there. What? Yeah, I'm having a go at that. When I go on, on a, a track and field I, I'm not used to, that's what it's about. You go and you conquer the game, in effect. Mm. Um, if the you know if the run button's not as fantastic as you would like it to be, you make the best of the tools that you've got. Um, but if you're going to go for a world record on track and field, you have to have your own personal machine, and it's got to be tailored to um, your style of play. I, I understand totally what you mean, John. I mean, the one game I'm reasonable at is kicker. Yeah. And it's one of those marathon games. But then when we did it on the podcast, when we reviewed it on the podcast, we did it on um, the, the, the one, you had, I think you had just no extra lives, 
and it was on the hardest setting. So obviously the game was finite, it was going to end. You couldn't just keep rolling and rolling for hours and hours on end. Yeah. And I found it very difficult. And when I play, I usually press both buttons at once, so you do a jump kick every time. Yeah. And if that, the one I played at, at Funspot a lot of years ago when I was there, and I think I was there in 2008 and 2014, 13, mm-hmm. um, the buttons are very far apart, so I had to spread my hands to hit the buttons at the same time, and it really knackered my game. I couldn't play it properly. Yeah. So in that case, I know what you mean. You have to have maybe your, your favorite joystick and, and maybe leaf buttons if you're used to leaf buttons or, or whatever, because I always find the leaf buttons are faster as well. And my buttons have to be quite close together, so I can sort of press them with three fingers together. Yeah. So I understand exactly what you say about that. And recently, at, at the last NERG, I was playing on, on James RGP's dig dug there and I play other handed to what I play normally so I hold the joystick with the right hand and press the left hand button yeah. when I was playing the game I kept dying and I realised the button wasn't hitting fast enough Yeah. and other people said oh yeah it's not working very well I, and I can't play the other way around it's weird for me I can't play that way around yeah. and I actually said to James the next one oh, can you, oh, I'll give you a hand later on there's some things wrong he said well oh, no one's told me no one's told me and obviously people hadn't said oh there's a problem with this joystick because he would have fixed them straight away so I grabbed the keys off him Open the panel up, because obviously I've got my own machine as well, I know exactly how to do it. And I noticed that the leaf switch was quite worn on it, so all I did was just give it a bit of a file to clean yeah. the contact, and just mm-hmm. bent the, the connectors very closely together, and then the game was perfect again. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's that much difference that makes may, maybe a world record or not, or you know, you can die after every 70,000 points, and, and usually I can just keep going and going without losing a life for a long time. Mm-hmm. On that one, it had to be perfect, and I understand exactly what you say about leaf buttons, being perfect and it's got to be brand new contact and not worn and you know a certain distance apart so when you hit them they're moving as fast as they possibly can and you, you, you can know. you can guarantee Vic that the guys who are going for the world record scores on track and field they've, obviously they've got the, their own personal machines yeah but their machines are absolutely set up for their way of play um so Hector's game, you know, he's got a, uh, a cocktail one, which seems to be the preferred one, and I think it's probably a good idea, a cocktail machine. Oh, okay. Because of the placement of the buttons, yeah, in relation to the screen. Because so they're quite flat to the screen, aren't they? Well, you've got your flat te- um, cocktail screen at the top, and they sort of angle down the, um, the control panels are, are on an angle, yeah? Yeah. So if you sit on a stool, you're, you're sort of sitting at an angle to the screen, and it, to me, it seems the optimal way for a multi-finger technique. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can see his world record on YouTube, and he uses a, a cocktail. Um, yeah. But yeah, it's, you're going to set it up the way you want it. Um, and like I was saying earlier on, the beauty of Classic Gamer, you know, track and field or any other game, is that you're up against um, the hardware um, and you know everything that you're using at the time you know the program can you know decide sometimes that it wants to do something completely different hmm. and an example for you when i was in um free play florida um two years ago i was playing it right and bill was stood over my shoulder and i was perfect on the i think it was the fifth key yeah and i went in the tunnel from the right and um inky was a blue ghost went in the tunnel from the left and he even bill said what how did that happen Wow, and that's on a you know an original midway upright cab. You know, there's things that happen sometimes that you know people say that you know everything's patterned and it, it always goes the same way. It doesn't, and it's the same on every other game as well. So when you get to that elite level, and you want to go for a world record. Sometimes there can be a tiny bit of element of luck involved, but you know, yeah, definitely, it, it, that's the same in in real life as well, isn't there? Yeah. Well, when when Sean 
and I was playing um, at, at Nerg. We were playing Pleiads. Yeah. Um, there was definitely something going on with the board. Maybe it's on its way out, or maybe some components worn or whatever. Because we were getting scores, and then certain glitches, like the high score would change. You're like, hey, no one's been on it. And it's, it's less now than it was, and it hasn't reset. Yeah. And it was just odd. And maybe, maybe that, what you noticed on that Pac-Man was the first sign where that board was on its way out. Maybe there was a certain part going, or you know, maybe it got hot or whatever, and it affected the machine. It's a lot of, those old electronics can be affected by an awful lot of stuff. Vic, I've played Pac-Man a lot, yeah, and mm-hmm. you know we're, we're talking about track and field, but obviously we're on a slightly different subject about you know the way the game and sometimes you know what you're up against almost with the machine. Yeah, I've played it so often, and there's been times when you know I'll be on a certain board and um, Blinky, for argument's sake, will start taking a slightly different um, pattern that he, he would normally take, wow. and it's, it's almost. And I'm thinking to myself, you've got it in for me. And there's been times when I've I've been playing, and he has almost changed his his character and the way he behaves on in the the maze, wow. in effect out to get me. And it's almost as if you know, like lions running for the you know a, a, an antelope that's wounded, they can smell the you know the, the kill. <laughs> yes. It's happened before, and when I've been playing Pac-Man, and it, it's. You know, you could explain and say, "Well, it's it's you. That, that's not the the game. It's you. You've packed a little bit, and you you uh, you've interpreted the, the game's changed. Yeah. It, it hasn't because I, you know, I, I always play at the same pace on Pac-Man. I don't really get um, worked up or head off. Yeah. But actually, I can see it on the screen, and it's you know, and like I said, that's the fantastic thing about classic gaming. There's a novel in there somewhere, John, with that story. Absolutely, and I'm sure. sure of it. There's lots of the guys who listen to the podcast. It's happened to them, and they'll remember that. You know, there's been times when they've been going for their own personal best, or you know, to challenge, you know, UK, European, or world records, and they, they've either got through that, yeah, that difficult part of the game where the, the game's, um, you know, through a curveball, and it, it does, you know, mm. whether or not you know the the the, the program almost in effect starts running itself and making decisions that aren't based on code i don't know i'm not a programmer something in there isn't it it's got to be without question and like mm. i said to, to get some of these um, world record scores and it, it goes back to you know sometimes people say that's impossible you know some of these scores back in the day and well I, i'm a firm believer that there were so many people playing so many different games at the same time within a, a, a short space of time that you know with what we've just been talking about anything was possible mm. So, last question before I let you go, mate. It's been lovely talking to you. What is the next game in your sights after you've done track of it? Because I firmly believe you're going to do it. It's just a matter of time, I think. Yeah, it's it's well, it's going to be a matter of time. It's going to be a long time because it's it's really down to you know how your fingers are you know the input. You know, once your fingers are, you, you might get a bit of arthritis. That's it. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We're not getting any younger. Yeah, and it's down to you know my good lady as well because obviously it's you know, I don't want to start stacking cabs in the lounge again. Oh no, no, you've got to work around it. You know, keep first things first, definitely. Definitely. So I don't believe of that. But I haven't lost interest in um, 1942 as well. Um, yeah, that'd be a good one to do. But to be honest with you, uh, without sounding sort of overconfident, it's it's something that I'm sort of um, convinced that I, I can beat the world record on 1942. Rub Sean Holly's face right in it. Go on, for me. No, not at all. Because you know, I love watching Sean play, and I love watching um, Dave play. And you know, there's some. It, to me, it's just a. You know, the the UK players are fantastic. There's so many great yeah. players. Um, 
and it's just a challenge. And once people throw down challenges, you know, that's what spares um, the other guys on. But it's it's for me, it's not throwing down a challenge. The challenge is already there. And I actually said to Martin um, last year when I saw Martin Bedard when yeah. we went to the States, he, he was saying that, yeah, if we, it was a great record, all the rest of it. And what really fired me up slightly was I'm not a, you know, I'm not a massive fan of Bane because I played all my games back in the day. So I was lucky enough to experience it all back in the day. Yeah. But he was talking about when he got his world record and his um, the practice that led up to it, and he was practicing the boss planes and he was doing all the rest of it. He was using save states on Maine. Um, okay. And in the conversation, it was like, and Rob Merchek was there as well, and and I looked at Martin and said, "What save states?" He said. Yeah, and he looked at me like, you know, what, yeah. How else are you meant to do it? So well, my, we know how you would do it. Just well, play and play and play and play and play. Well, that's that's it. But this is the way I did it, and I don't know any other way. And I don't see the point at the end of the day for me, and it's it's a personal thing for me. I don't. I just want to do it the way I did it when I was younger, because when I got my big scores, and it's the same when I was on Pac-Man or Crystal Castles or Space Invaders. When I did it, I did it that way. And mm. it's not as if now I've only got one leg or one arm or one eye. I'm still the same person. I might be a bit older, but why can't I use the same tools as I did back then? Absolutely, yeah. The classic I'm, games, classic methods, I think. I'm just going to use the same tools as back then because I wasn't a casual player. I pushed myself and I classed myself. Even when I was a kid, I thought I was great at all the games I played. So now the challenge is is for me to beat me from back then and if I can't do it, I, the challenge now is is I'm a lot older. But that's the challenge then, isn't it? Why can't I beat someone who was 15 years old and thought he was the best player at track and field or 1942 or Pac-Man? That's my challenge, and it's a personal challenge. And if and it's not really a money thing as well. If, you, if you've got three or four or five hundred pounds, you get yourself a cab, mm-hmm. stick, stick it in the corner of your spare room or put it in your shed. There's no reason why you can't do it the same way as you did or as we did it um, in the early 80s. Absolutely, absolutely. It's doable, don't worry, I've done it. I did it on Pac-Man. <laughs> absolutely. Well, thank you very much, John, for talking to us. That's been lovely. Yeah, you're welcome, Vic. Cheers, and- man, and good luck with the uh, track and field. Yeah, any time, and I'll see you in a couple of weeks. Lovely. That's it, mate, brilliant. I'll speak to you in person very soon, and um, it was great having another podcast with you. Lovely. Cheers, mate. Cheers, Vic. You can download or play the podcast, read all the show notes, and leave feedback at www.10pencearcade.co.uk. You can email me at vertvic at 10pencearcade.co.uk. You can also reach us on our Facebook page. You can tweet me at 10pencearcade, and you can tweet Sean at Sean Holly. We'd love to hear from you for game suggestions, arcade pickups and stories, or any of your personal thoughts on anything we may have covered. 